Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. What's good, Internet? It's February 28th, 2023, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 545. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Lepic. Hi. And Renata Price. What is all this, then? I have a question, Rob. Yes. Okay, so you've been increasingly... You love when you do a stream and people are like, what's up with the Christmas tree? And I have to ask, you've had a lot of people... It's your favorite thing. (laughs) You've had a lot of people in and outside of your place in the last, like, two weeks or so. Yes. Has it become a conversation piece? So the way my place is laid out is... Because the people I've had coming through are working here and doing renovations and painting. And the Mm -hmm, way my place mm -hmm. is laid out, uh, it is, like... Basically, the apartment is a, a is a very long, straight room. So this is like the furthest point uh, from the door. Mm-hmm. And so nobody's really coming in to oh. like look over the living room. Plus, like everything in such disarray that kind of if you saw the whole room, <laughs> the story sort of tells itself. The Christmas tree actually doesn't look as huh. uh, out of place as you might think, given the tableau that greets you. <laughs> so curious uh, what the rest must be like. <laughs> We need a yeah. We need we need a uh, MTV uh, Cribs episode of Rob's uh, apartment in disarray. As well, well I, I attempted like I I, t- I attempted to so early in this process. I was like a child. I was <laughs> like, I can make this tree look normal if I put things under it. As if oh, Santa was very good to us this year. <laughs> so I just put what? a bunch of my books under the tree as if they had just been delivered. So it's like ah, look at my bounty under the tree. Now it's a decorative element. Uh, it's like post Christmas. Hmm. That didn't really work. Instead, I just got a bunch of books spilling out from under my tree. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I couldn't I have predicted this. that one. <laughs> under the, I love your experimental interior design strat. Like this is this is incredible. Uh, under the coffee table, I have a collection of those um those like glass uh, pickling canning jars for like lacto fermenting, where they get the latch the latch lid with mm. the uh, rubber gasket on them. Mm. Uh, there is a as we've been doing this renovation, we've also been sort of coming to grips with various waves of misguided attempts at getting control of the chaos in this place that we like that we undertook it at container store and the like Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so we have lots of storage options that didn't surprisingly enough didn't solve all our problems by turning us into different people that's a phrase Mm. that's a phrase that is a a phrase i really thought the glass storage jars were really gonna help us pull our shit together and when those failed i thought the giant plastic tubs were gonna really help us pull our shit together And then I thought the squared uh, plastic uh, tubs with the little uh, like airlock uh, lid. Yeah, really thought those yeah. would help us be better people. Totally. So you you, <laughs> you ended up in a situation in which your storage 
options are taking up more options because they have not storing. You they're not even storing themselves. They're not even storing themselves. Mm-hmm. Could you t- could you make a nested storing situation where oh, the pre- no. <laughs> they don't fit? They're not interoperable that way. They don't interlock. Uh, so the big plastic bins do, thank God, but everything else doesn't. Uh, but Patrick, you're right. You've hit upon one of the bigger surprises I've had uh, in the last <laughs> few months when I did a big like. Man, this place is such a mess. I'm really, I'm really gonna organize the pantry. And I was halfway through like organizing and refilling the pantry when I realized that half the pantry was storage items that were not in use and had to be stored. Classic. Caused a problem for various other things I needed to store, but didn't quite seem right to put in the storage vessels. So, uh, you got the storage vessels ahead of uh, their specific need. Sometimes, you, <laughs> again, kind of some of this was aspirational. It's like, sure, I, with the storage vessel, we will be encouraged to live better lives and we will therefore make use of the storage vessel. Instead, what happened is, uh, uh, just put those storage, just put those like, uh, Put those jars and those crates uh, all in the all in the pantry, or you know what? There's not room on the shelves anymore. How about in the middle of the pantry so you can only walk into it? And you know what? We'll just shut the pantry up and not look in there for a while, and then continue buying doubles of things we already have because we haven't really taken stock of what's in the pantry for a while. <laughs> all of this has been like a journey of discovery uh, we've uh-huh. been on, and this is before I get to like the. Uh, let's see. There was my plastic squeeze bottle phase uh, where I was like, you know what? I'm going to get into sauces and dressings and simple syrups and have all sorts of little accoutrements to sort of uh, gussy up dishes and make it easier to like, you know, eat healthy and also like fix mm-hmm, fancy cocktails mm-hmm. without a whole lot mm-hmm, of like mm-hmm. advanced prep work. Mm-hmm. Well, no, all of those uh, little plastic squeeze bottles are uh, just like jammed into various corners they're very hard to store because they're very light and they fall over and then some of them you know you put something in the squeeze bottle you forget about it and you look at it and you're like this squeeze bottle is a little dirtier than i would like and it's proving difficult to clean don't want to throw it out i'll figure out how to clean it later but in the meantime we'll just give it a decent cleaning right now but won't use it but we'll store it for that day when i can really give it some love and attention this is just like a like a museum tour of rob's hobbies that we get a brief glimpse into during this podcast and then it's just a a graveyard of interests i I don't mean that i don't mean this as a burn Mm. but we've talked a lot about like you know on on our on our computer storage conversation right you talked about the difficulty of maintaining things uh and and the upkeep cost of like maintaining like an organizational system i'm beginning to see why uh that may be a particular issue uh, is that the specialization of the organizational system does appear to make it a fucking impossible to manage for anyone (laughs) other than like a professional. Yeah, it's, it's very true. And the thing is like, there are moments when I've really like organized every, well, there are moments when I've really organized everything. And I, and I do have that day or two and I'm like, ah, this See, I always knew I always knew this is how it would be. Everything is in its proper place. Everything is accessible. Meanwhile, there's so much workspace and uh, you know, clean surfaces for us to make use of. I will now do something. Oh dear, it has caused disorder. And that thing could be cooking, that thing could be, you know, just any just living. 
And then, you know, next thing you know, it has caused disorder and chaos. And you think, I will get to that later. And you get busy. Yeah. In a system so complex that it takes like 40 minutes to manage. Yeah, that's that's. Is it better or worse to have unused uh, but aspirational storage containers or Mm. poorly organized things that you say, I will eventually get storage for those things and never do. And this is truly the Rob Zach versus Renata Price conundrum. This is well, this is it. This is we found that we found the binary. I was, just thinking, I was just thinking I have like these two little buckets that I got full of rice and uh, that I like too organize. Have, I had many jars ways. of rice, different rices. <laughs> Yes. At a time, there was a time that made a I lot of for sense. My you, you, rice. All of you are I using the term my... organized, and I don't think you know what it means. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I have one for my I, rice. My, my, if they fit in the cabinet, which is more vertical, and like just leaving a bag of rice in there was bad. So, you know, it's their vertical little buckets, and that's fine. That, that part is good of that shelf. But that shelf is also supposed to hold the grains, and the other grains in there are like the other like things that I associate with rice is also pasta. So the dry pasta's in there. And that's just bags that I've said I'm going to get jars for because we get like regular amounts of the same stuff. But they're just kind of half opened and paper clipped. You know, like, well, not paper clipped. Uh, what's the little, you know, I dog know clips. Like, yeah, like a bag of chips, whatever <laughs> right. that yeah, utensil right. is Whatever called. exists, just like half opened. Yeah. Sometimes they spill out a little bit if you're not too careful, you know. It's a whole mess in there. But half of it is organized. I just need to get the other half actually done someday. Just in time for you to leave? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm moving. This is the thing. So you have a brand. Oh, make it delightful. Kato has a brand new suite of excuses to not do any of this shit. Oh, I'm moving. To be fair, so much I've time also, to do other things. I've been, been moving for a year. I've been, yeah, yeah. I've been, been moving yeah, uh-huh. for yeah. almost six months at that's, this point. That's where I'm at. Like, I'm at the point where I'm like, no, I'm not fixing this apartment. I'm not. I'm not learning how to organize it. I won't. I'll move in six months. Listen, this is, this is, yeah. I, listen, six fuck me for the next later. six months. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, look, I think this is, this is the conundrum. I think there, there's a couple things I have come to grips with, because, uh, like, as I understand it, and this, this is now something I've been sort of, uh, like, Therapists have confirmed this, uh, but in general, like in particular, ADHD, one of the things that like you tend to just be bad at is if stuff goes out of sight, it does tend to disappear from <laughs> mind. So like yep. and w- what that means is like, like multiple layers of storage. You will mm-hmm. never no, access no. what is in the third layer. You probably won't even access what is in the first. God. So effectively, that whole big, deep cabinet you're looking at. No, that space is a trap. That is a lie. Because what you can use is what's going to be in the front, and everything else is going to be lost. This is I, why the, the long but it's a long, it's a long rectangle so that it uses all the deep space, but I can see it from the front. So, so the thing that the thing that I want, the thing that I want, if I got to, if someone was like Renata, make an apartment, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll make an apartment. Um, I would have uh, glass cabinets. Like cabinets with like windows on them. Like that is yeah. that is the thing that I need. That I know you need, I need because I need, need to see the shame. Like oh, that's unorganized. It's not the shame. No, no, no. It's not that I need to see the shame. It's that I need to see the things so I can prevent it from becoming shame. Like truly, <laughs> that is that is the actual answer to the problem. Is that like I can keep things 
relatively okay if I have like very visible storage solutions, right? If I have to open a drawer, I'm fucked. Um, um, it's oh shit. I got to remember to open that shit. Never. Yeah. What? <laughs> so I find like, like it's more the, it's more the layer stuff that gets me, mm-hmm. uh, which is like, I will, you know, the thing that led, you know how, like I, I destroyed a stovetop cause I just couldn't be bothered to like, yeah. clear a little yeah. space. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like any moment where it's like to access this one thing, I have to pull two things out of the way and put them down off to the side and then get the third thing and then like put the other stuff back. That's, that's just not going to work. So I'm in this process of, uh, well, and, and this is the thing, Patrick, and I, I, I should, you know what? I should take credit for this. I should give myself the W's here. Um, grab it. I think I figured it out now. And this time it's going to be different. <laughs> so okay. I've identified what my actual needs are. You and are, the Chicago Bulls. Yes. Like I like my new my new storage philosophy here is the Patrick Beverly of my apartment. <laughs> and it's going it, to it's going to pull, need a hype gonna, man for a local hype man to convince yourself that your team is not irrevocably broken for three years uh that team they are frisky they they are they, they are oh, making get, a they, man they are gets gonna, local man gets youtube tv and then watches a couple of games after they acquire <laughs> against the mighty brooklyn nuts sands yeah, all their yeah, players yeah. and the right, what is your w the what washington w? wizards dynasty uh, st- uh, yeah speaking of w's <laughs> but uh yeah so i'm in the process of just down like downsizing a bunch of stuff and like we are donating a what bunch of down- like, okay that's that that was gonna be my question right like down, downsizing can mean a lot of things, right? Is that just I'm organizing it in an out of sight, out of mind no, way, like or it is, is I am getting is rid leaving. of things? There's going to okay. be a net, like, right. uh, donating a bunch of books, donating a bunch of these like less useful storage things, the things I just have too much of, and uh, and I've sort of I'm sort of redoing a lot of the layout of stuff to try and just admit to myself that like. No matter how much sense a system makes uh, makes to me when I come up with it, again, that's kind of an ironclad law of like if something is not immediately to hand when I open a cabinet, it's like I don't have it. So there's no value mm-hmm. in having more than I can really, really readily make use of. And that's going to be kind of the the approach moving forward. Um, so that's, yep. you know. I, I would say once this renovation is over and uh, I'll probably be getting rid of more stuff as I put things back because I'll be sort of confronted with it again. And, uh, you know, I think I think once the office is done, all this stuff is ready to go. I think life will be better. I have one jar. I drink out of this one. This is the jar I drink out of. I wash it. Mm. I, I have the one jar that I consistently wash. This shit doesn't go in the cabinet. This is Renata's water jar. I don't have <laughs> other. I don't have other receptacles. What if you drop for it, like, though? For like a poured liquid. If I dropped this, I would I would die. What if you have a friend over and they want to drink some water? I have nice whiskey glasses in. uh, (laughs) We have nice whiskey glasses in the cafe. You have other things. Okay, they're not mine. They're my roommates. (laughs) So if you move, Uh, (laughs) so (laughs) I'll be if I'm like I'm very thirsty. Yeah, (laughs) and you pour me. Like a rocks glass of water. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can show you. I might the glass. be like, I would like more water. Please. No, I'm I gonna need to go back glass. for more water. Yeah, I'm gonna it's, need a it's second. It's a sizable glass. glass. Oh yeah, it's no, a, I'm sure. I'm sure, but yeah. Wait, let me. I, I think it is not a rock. Like it's like Rob. Mm-hmm. It's a glass for big ice. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but still, like uh, hydration needs can be mighty. 
And so that is my, like, you know, pie this, glasses. You need to get yourself balls. some. Those are good, too. Yeah, gotta go to Ikea and get the six-pack of fucking cheap-ass glass. That is everyone's no, got. six too many. Six? Six, six? Too, six is too many. You don't have, six you don't is don't have, have like, get, like, a Four big friends water. over and you want to serve them all a drink at the same time? No, I don't. Bring your own glass. Be BYOG <laughs> when you go to Ren's apartment. Ren, uh, which house do you need six dining room tables, uh, chairs to uh, like accommodate your guests? Hold on one second. Kata, why are you posting my L's like this? I'm sorry. Like, damn, look, bro, I, no, I, I don't I, have look, people over. I, don't, I, don't. I, also, I, also do, I also don't, but I could in theory. I think about oh, it. Oh, boy. This is this has turned into a weird therapy session. Listen, I'm gonna add before this pod, I was writing a 12 paragraph preamble, and I gotta add an extra paragraph to my to my therapist. Mm-hmm. This conversation, that's, like, well, that's, that's eleven more. That's eleven more paragraphs than you got glasses. Exactly. Yeah. Well. Uh, Dear therapist, and I would say this has been a great preamble uh, to the podcast. I, I'm. I'm Glad everyone uh, is is with us today. Listen, listening. I'm, I'm sure you're thrilled to hear about our story solutions as we are to talk about them. I go on about this all day, <laughs> but uh, there are mechs afoot, and I simply must talk about them. And the mechs have yes. feet. The mechs have feet. Stompy. And those so, fe- and those feet are and those feet are physics modeled. Oh, yeah. We are on the eve of uh, the, the 1.0 release of Phantom Brigade, and let's catch it. Let's catch up a little bit. So this was a uh, th- this is a mech tactics game that had a simultaneous uh, resolution system, correct? Yes. Uh, and like you know, that also goes by names like WeGo, uh, but like you script out your move, and when the next turn happens, everything happens simultaneously. Uh, so yes. probably like one of the tactics games that really popularized this in PC games outside of war games uh, is um, like Frozen Synapse, uh, which, you know, where you sort of like block out where your people are going, what they're doing when they get there, etc. And, you know, prior to now, it was sort of in a pre-release state, like you'd play a lot of battles. I don't know what all they layered in, but with 1.0, what's coming into this game? Hey, Waypoint Radio listeners. So about that 1.0 release I just alluded to, it turns out that the build Ren has been playing via early access is an older build than the one that Brace Yourself has sent out for review, which according to their PR representative does have a number of new changes. I think most of what we talk about here is true of the final release version, but it is possible that some of the things mentioned here don't quite line up with the review build or with what is going to be launched with 1.0 today. Uh, With that, back to the show. So basically over the last like year and change, uh, Phantom Brigade has developed like a pretty extensive campaign structure mm-hmm. that I would say is comparable, although le- slightly less involved than something like Battletech, right? Like you are not managing the finances of, of your Phantom Brigade, but like the game takes place in a country that is vaguely referred to just as the homeland um, it's it's all painted in very broad strokes, uh, in which there is a revolution taking place uh, against an invading army, and you are the vanguard of that revolution. Uh, you are basically like a special op cell from before you lost the war, right? Uh, the 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 faction you're from lost the war, and now you are what's left. And 
So the game is about going through these regions and territories and liberating them from uh, the uh, like fascist government. And like, what what's that structure look like in terms of? So is it like pick a territory, then you fight a battle over it? How does like what's the what's the loop from like like like? I assume you're trying to like meta layer and then tactics layer. What's the what's the connective tissue there? So you go into a province and the province is like, this is the province. This is its escalation level. The escalation level determines how invested the like fascists are like the the enemy faction is in like devoting resources to it. Uh, Does and it how directly much equate to difficulty or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the longer you spend there. Uh, the more that they realize that they are dealing with the Phantom Brigade and not like a normal mercenary outfit or like home guard cell, the more likely they are to deploy stronger and more powerful resources. Um, and so the longer you stay in a territory, that escalation level goes up and eventually it gets high enough where you have a strong enough foothold where you can contest the province, at which point uh, the game then has two bars appear on screen which are the health bars for the revolutionary movement uh, and the home guards, also known as the home guard and the uh, occupying army. And then battle sites appear throughout the province uh, where you can go support the home guard or you can take on objectives scattered throughout. So like you can go to a farm that has been occupied and taking over that or taking back that farm will give you some victory points towards the uh, like hundred point health bar of the uh occupying army or like taking out a base might give you 30 points uh off of their health bar um and so then you this all like ticks down over time and in terms of like spending those resources and recover like handling battle damage i'm curious what persists outside battles and what do you do to like mitigate like is there sort of a battle tech style like if things get busted up in a fight, you have to repair them. Uh, yes. Okay. If something breaks during a fight, you have to salvage it. Like the part is broken. Uh, it is, it is broken, broken. It used to be in the original game that it was gone forever. Or sorry, in, in an earlier version that like, if a part broke during a battle, you could not even salvage it uh, from one of your own mechs. But now they have changed it so that if, for example, your like best shotgun is blown away by like a freak shot, uh, or, you know, your, the arm that was holding the shotgun is blown off, then you can go into the salvage menu and, and salvage that particular part. But that does cost your salvage points. So after every battle, you have like a certain number of points that you can do, don't like devote to what resources you would like to take for yourself, what resources you would like to break down into their components and what resources you're leaving behind. Uh, and every part is like has a tier of quality. So there's common, uncommon, and rare parts. Um, and so those different, like, it, there is a decision being made about what you actually want to salvage and, like, how you go about salvaging, right? Are you the kind of person who is going to break down these rare materials for their components so you can eventually make your own custom bespoke shit? Or are you just going to take that really good gun? Like, that's a nice gun there. Are you going to, like, that... You might not have a mech built for it, but if you pick up that gun, you could build a mech around it. One of the moments I had in the in the demo that I thought was really interesting was just salvaging enemy 
parts and just fucking slapping mm-hmm. them on my mech, right? And then you start to get this ship of Theseus situation of just like, is any of the original mech there anymore? It doesn't matter. And like, it's it's kind of a neat little, it really like makes like your, sca- sca- you know, scavenging on the like battlegrounds, like it pushes that fantasy forward, I think, really well in like an interesting way. The game used to be a lot more punishing about this, and mm. the thing is that they do have they have re- they have kept those difficulty options in. If you would like to be really scrounging for parts, you can honestly like I've been playing on the alpha build uh, or like the the alpha branch uh, for like the last like week or so, playing with the update that is going to be released as the one point update. Mm. Um, and during that, I've been kind of kicking ass. In fact, I think I've been kicking too much ass. <laughs> and uh, my, like, I'm, I've got a lot of resources. Uh, to the point, does I would, it almost feel like they tuned it down too much from where it was maybe earlier in development? I think that's possible, but also, like, I, I am someone who really pushes herself to make do with what she has in terms of like my max equipment, right? Like I will, I am always the person who's like, okay, I'm going to just scrap everything so I can build something else later down the line. So I just like basically scrap most pieces and then, you know, build from there. Um, but also like I have been kind of kicking a lot of ass and that has meant that like my attrition rate is not particularly bad. Um, there are two kinds of attrition to be clear. Uh, there's attrition of your actual supplies, which you use to like build your mechs. And then there is attrition of repair gel and repair gel is what mechs use to repair, uh, shields. So like if a mech has a barrier, uh, like a, like a shield layer, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, on like a part, if that takes damage, the next turn, it will like fill in the gaps with this repair gel. That repair gel is also what you use to repair your mechs after battle. And so if you're running a lot of mechs that use barriers, you could be eating through repair oh, gel really quick. Uh-huh. The, notion, the notion of like battlefield defense is money. Yeah. And like, do you want to build armor, like traditional armor, like integrity? Because integrity also eventually gets repaired with repair gel, but you are less worried about running out of it on the field. And like, you can more consistently figure out how much you're spending um which but, i think is really neat and so to give you an example of how this happens and like how this is cool i wasn't paying attention to my supplies and i started contesting a province and then i went through a couple of fights and i was like nice i'm really like making good progress here um these battles are going really well um and i looked down and i was like why is one of my mechs only at 73 percent integrity why is that number not going up as i'm driving around oh my god, the nearest resupply point is an entire province away. And there are three ongoing battles happening right now. Fuck. (laughs) And so then I booked it over to the resupply point and we lost two of those battles. Because, like, I fucked up and mismanaged my time and mismanaged my resources. And, like, that was a really cool moment for me where I was like, oh shit, the attritional aspect of this game is working because if you don't pay attention to it, you're going to put yourself in situations like that, uh, that even if you are like winning every fight, which I am like, I'm winning every fight and I'm not like taking big hits. I'm not like losing mechs and pilots left and right. But even then there is that element of attrition to it. 
But that last point concerns me a bit. Uh, you, you mentioned like you're, you're kicking a lot of ass and such. I'm like, I'm, I'm curious. Like it just sounds to me like it, it sounds to me like there's maybe not an, like quite enough tug of war in, in the campaign uh, to like keep things, keep things tight or force you like sort of onto less comfortable strategies right like i'm thinking about in battle tech right you have, you have a couple different ways that that can crop up like you know obviously pilots tend to get hurt more than like mechs necessarily uh yeah. get taken offline for a long time so uh the best pilot for a, a core mech might be might be out uh but sometimes you know a bad battle knocks a bunch of your mechs out of commission even if you have the money to repair them the repair mm-hmm. time takes forever and so you got to do a couple runs with like the B and C teams of your pilots and yep. then the B and C teams of your mech lineup. And if that goes badly, sometimes you end up in really dire straits, but all this stuff generates like compelling drama and mm. interesting, like tactics dilemmas you haven't seen in a while. Right. Where it's like, Oh, like I don't really have any of the, the stuff I would want in this situation. And I'm curious, like is Phantom Brigade generating stuff like that for you in the campaign? Yes. There have been like, the freak accidents still hit like the freak accident of like there was a fight where uh my best pilot far and away was a sniper who her kill count was pretty much triple everyone else and then in one ba- one fight that just like went messy uh she got cored uh, just a couple of unlucky shots just blew blew her cockpit out, uh, and she died. And then I had to completely rebuild my like tactics around that on the field in the middle of the fight because like what I'd been doing previously was having her use this light, extremely light, fast sniper to create really deadly fields of fire. Yeah. Because I had also the mech customization shit does work really well because I made a mech that. Even if I got a like higher level sniper rifle, I would not have switched to because I had explicitly built this mech that she was piloting to be used with one specific rifle and nothing else. It was designed so that this sniper could fire basically every second uh, by just like absolutely jacking up the heat dissipation as high as you could go, uh, as well as like dropping the heat levels on the rifle as low as you could go by modifying it. No one else was like, if you put any other weapon on that mech, it completely falls apart. Um, and she got cored. And my strategy to that point, like my my approach to battles, because when you're going into battles, the thing that the game does is you are always like the numerical underdog because you have access to perfect information. Right? Like this is not a we go game insofar as like, you know, you don't know what your opponents are going to be doing. You know what the enemy will be doing during their turn. And so the game throws overwhelming numbers at you to put you in situations that still put pressure on the player, even if uh, you have perfect information. And that means you have to fight really cleanly. uh, And if you don't, things go bad really fast. Things break bad really fast. Uh, If an arm gets blown off of your mech, that is basically a death sentence for the pilot, unless um, unless you have a shield, in which case that mech turns into a battering ram, 
And so there are these moments where as you take damage throughout fights in a way that I think you don't as much in battle. Like, I think that you you do take damage in fights and change your strategies in Battletech as you go. But like, the moments where I go, okay, fuck it. I guess that this mech is now just a battering ram don't happen for me like that in Battletech. It's like, oh, I guess this thing is a sitting duck now. Like, melee isn't like that. Uh, crowd control isn't like that in Battletech, at least in my experience, where you can, like, turn a mech into, this is just going to harass people. And so that, like, flexibility of role um, is creates really engaging, like, moments of tactics. Uh, in tr- like... In part because of that perfect information thing, does it feel like, uh, does it feel like the enemy is doing like clever and smart, like reasonably smart things, uh, like a, as you play, or is it kind of like you're up against a force that uses raw numbers, um, maybe not real creatively, but yeah, that's that like you see what I'm driving at, uh, yeah. you know, to to what degree does it feel like you're playing against, uh, you know, a, a tactical intelligence versus like someone using effectively wave tactics of armored vehicles? They've been getting smarter as I've been going, mm-hmm. but there are there are definitely fights where. If you start a fight eight on four or four on eight and the enemy is because this game has physics modeled weapons. Yeah, they can just create a wall of fire. If they have machine guns and shotguns, they can turn an entire battlefield into a no-go zone in terms of just like, if I step out here, I'm going to get chipped to shit. Um, does that even, I'm just curious, does that exert yeah. like a slowing influence on units as well? Like if you're walking into a, like, do shots uh, stagger uh, max or slow them down? I'm curious, like how literal is that wall? If we're talking about like walking into a steady stream of kinetic weapons some of them do uh yeah. some weapons do stagger and like actually like slow you down uh but yeah. they are it depends uh not all of them uh, uh do that stagger but also like walking into that wall of fire is you're really risking like losing a limb and yeah. losing a limb is like losing a mech uh effectively or like completely having to like rebuild your tactics around that particular um unit and so those tactics are there but the other thing that's worth noting is that the game is pretty each province has a different like t- general type of unit. So the province that I've been fighting in most recently fields mechs with experimental weapons, which means that I am fighting mechs with heavy machine guns, I am fighting mechs with railgun repeaters, and I am fighting mechs with beam weaponry. And fighting against those specific weapons is very, very different from fighting against folks who are like fielding traditional assault rifles. Uh, and like in those places the game's tactics feel really like fluid um, and and engaging. Because it's like, okay, even if the AI isn't playing the situation that much differently, um, the, the things that are being fielded have such a different like affect in this battle that that's kind of okay. Like I'm, I kind of don't mind that yeah. I'm getting hit with wave tactics because I have to approach every province so differently and to be fair like i mean if you built your game around like because this is the thing i was curious about with the um i was i was curious about curious about the wego system because like there are times that 
in some ways it, it feels like it, it strikes me that, that it's always a little harder to create a compelling uh ai player for those systems a little bit yeah. because like the field of play is not going to remain static during like any player's turn and so you know when, when you think about like a lot of uh hex-based tactics games for instance they're turn-based you tend that like you know some of those even going back to the 90s some of those could be like brutally difficult in part because like it's a static board that the ai can like optimize for its turn and do mm-hmm. a lot in that turn and really mess you up and with we go sometimes it's a little more chaotic but that can cut both ways as well right because like you also were dealing with more chaos and sometimes things that are very easy to spot is irrational in a uh, i go you go system like scan okay in this but if the game is built around this like notion of you're kind of like the elite force here you are uh got you know gosh what's the what's the analogy but like I, you, I you know, you're the a-team you're not just the a-team like yeah. the, the thing i've been thinking is um you are the gundam like this is a game about the particular fantasy of the gundam uh, i was in a uh, uh discord chat with like um in a discord server with with austin where he like laid out a theory of what the gundam is as like a as a thing right and so much of that resonates with what is happening in phantom brigade in terms of like what your squad is you are a prototype experimental weapon that is a symbol of a revolutionary force uh, it was a product of and now opposed to the state. It is carrying this as much symbolic weight as it is like a literal thing on the battlefield. And also, the Phantom Brigade is not any one individual pilot. It is not any one individual mech, but is an idea. It is a thing that people are afraid of. And so the final thing about like the Gundam is that it has this like kind of unspoken will. There is a there is a motivating ideology or like impulse behind it and in phantom brigade it feels like you are that motivating impulse your like nameless commander is the thing that makes this squad what it is um because you have access to this particular technology that allows you to see five seconds into the future um and this is like something that the developers have explicitly called out oh ms team uh, one of my like favorite Gundam series is an explicit reference for what this game is doing. Uh, there is a particular fight uh, from that game, the Goof versus Easy Eight. Sorry, not game from that show, Goof versus Easy Eight, which is one of the best mech fights that exists. If you like, search best mech fight in YouTube, that's what comes up. Actually, that is yep, <laughs> it's what comes up. Most and amazing it, mech fight, seven, uh, sixty FPS, and it comes up for good reason <laughs> because that fight is like attritional and both attritional and sudden it is it is messy and violent and in a way that i think that something like uh battle tech and into the breach fail to be um at times because like i would say battle tech is not trying to be no it's not like, trying to, to be. be it was like failing would probably not be the word yeah, I would sorry use not there. failing my apologies yeah. um failing is the is the wrong word but like it is doing a different thing than those two games right yeah in Into the Breach, for example, if one of your mechs gets like shoulder checked into a building, you knew that was going to happen. You knew for a fact that like, okay, I'm going to make this exchange where I am letting this guy get shoulder checked into this building and maybe kill some civilians. Phantom Brigade is not that. It is like scrappy and fluid and expressive in a way that like 
other mech games I've experienced aren't. You can shoulder check someone and they will go through a building. If you get tangled, if you like try and shoulder check a mech that is your size, you both crash because you get tangled in one another in this like rolling grappling ball that nice. as you stand up, you might bump into the ga- them again and crash again if you both try and run off in the same direction. And it's this like turns into this like messy rolling thing that will like destroy your fucking mechs. It will destroy you. And like that is the goof versus easy eight fight to me is this slow attritional combat that can in moments of actual like connection and moments of like real violence is sudden and immediate and terrifying. Um, it sounds like it, it sounds like broadly nails the, because like it's not like it broadly nails the vibe and having an atmosphere to, to the game as well. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that there is a, like spending time with this game it's a cool world to spend time in like sound music atmosphere yes. does it all come through pretty well the mech designs are really great like that's that is like this game is really carried by its mech designs which are phenomenal uh i think that the area designs can be a little bit uh samey um and mm. it has it has battle tech style um like in like tertiary events and like interstitial events where yeah. it's like your pilot found a box. What are you going to do with this box? I've gotten this one like eight times. And every time I'm like, I click open the box and it's always a bomb. And I'm like, God <laughs> damn it. I th- I want one. It ha- There has to be another. I keep, I keep walking up this I fucking expected. football. <laughs> I keep walking over this stupid fucking football and be like, surely this will be the box that doesn't have a bomb in it. And then Lucy pulls that shit away and puts a bomb there. And then I have to defuse it every time. And like, I think those events cycle a little bit too frequently. Yeah, that's, a- I mean, this is this uh, this always. Um, I remember Paradox talking about Stellaris. Had they had mentioned a few times that like one of the most common complaints is that people see events too often. Uh, yeah. But the thing is, it's like one of those things where it's so hard to because it's like whatever you think is the right amount of events. You just don't have enough. And like players will just see the shit so many times, so many more times than you think. Uh, And, and so it's one of those, it's a, it's a tricky feature to use, but at the same time, like if you can't seed the world with enough events, I would almost rather not have some of these events. Uh, Like man thought of having the the box event hit Mm. like eight times kind of pissed me off. Uh, Like the the comet in EU where it's like, I don't care. Like, yeah, Yeah. I I get it. Like, cool, bro. Yeah, uh, but that sounds really, really cool. Uh, I look forward to checking it out. I think, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be streaming it later this week. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And Rob, let me let me let me say one thing that I think that I think may that I think may win you over. Heavy machine guns in this game are about concussing the enemy pilot, not about doing damage to their mech. Nice. And that's that's like it understate. Like, I think that heavy weapons are usually really boring. Uh, or like it's like oh the cool slow guy who cares this game does such cool shit with them i think it's really neat um i think it's like a great tactics game sorry i just get i just wanted to get that last note in there is that like the different ways of approaching different mechs are extremely distinct from one another some mechs you need to concuss their pilots other ones you need to take out the mech itself and like i dig i dig that this is something that often like it's uh, too often you see there's like almost a hard counter element to like weapons and games like this where it's like some are vi- some just don't do anything against like 
mechs or something. And it's like, well, like there's still a crew inside there. There's mm-hmm. still there's still a pilot and that can often like have an impact. Right. And so you can just focus on concussing pilot. I have one person in my squad who that's their job. They knock motherfuckers out and then we take their mechs. That's my mech now. Dork. Um, yeah. like, I remember because you know, I remember like um, there is a one of the best books on armored combat I've ever read. Um, like you want you want to read some grim shit, Ren, uh, but like really, really good, really, really compelling stuff. It's this book called Tank Men. And it is uh, like the writer was he's writing well after World War Two, but he he was like an armored warfare uh, expert for the U.S. Army. But like at some point around like the 40th, 50th anniversaries of World War Two, he goes around, he starts interviewing, collecting everything he can on everybody in the European theater that mm-hmm. fielded tanks and talking to their their tank operators. So he's talking to, I think, like. Uh, German tankers, British, French, uh, Italian, uh, you know, Soviet and American. And just talking about the experiences of tank warfare in World War II, especially as it evolved. Because, you know, there are the people who trained up for this between the wars uh, when nobody really knew what World War II armored combat would be like. So mm-hmm. it was all in theory. And then there's people who were there for like, you know, the, the later stages. But it is the best book I've read at taking you inside the experience of like, What's it like to be sealed up in a little metal cocoon that is at once like <laughs> your sanctuary, but also your coffin if things go wrong yeah. uh, and sort of go into battle? One of the things that comes through is like, even if the tank is not like taking disabling hits, it is such a cacophonous and uncomfortable environment. That That is part of tank warfare, too, that yeah. like even if the machine is operating perfectly, 100 percent, it's still a really challenging place to fight from because it is crewed by people and it is a machine that is giving off fumes like, you know, the, the, the weapons, uh, every time mm-hmm. you fire them, uh, there's like gases released and it was just, it was full of like stuff that like I knew in the abstract, but I hadn't really thought about what that would be like. Uh, but I also think like, it's something I think about when I think about like mech games, cause it is, it is a war of machinery, but that sometimes leads you into thinking, well, it's going to be sort of inhuman antiseptic in some mm-hmm. ways. And nope, not for crew. Yeah. It, it really is not. Um, one of the best additions from the Battletech uh, 3062 is more specific injury modeling for pilots. I think that is like one of the one of the better features they added. And like, I will say that's something I wish that Phantom Brigade had because yeah. the pilots are the pilots can get concussed. The pilots have personalities, but they do not have individual skills, right? You are not like, you Mm. do not have a pilot who is good at sniping. You just have a pilot who pilots the sniper. Oh, so you didn't have it. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So your sniper was not, the mech was the sniper and then it was operated by a pilot. Yes. But once, but when it got cored, I lost both of them Right. is, is, is the thing. And so I could not like rebuild that mech. Um, the way it was before. So pilots have personalities, but their skills are interchangeable. Yep, that's odd. That's that's, yeah. that's odd. That's interesting. There was. It, it seems like there were greater plans at one point. They have stated previously that they had the dream was for there eventually to be a nemesis system for enemy pilots. Yeah, like because because of course it is. Like that is the dream of all of these games is is to you know have to to hit the field and be like that motherfucker. Um, 
Because like that is that is a uniquely excellent experience in a game. I think just just uh, the feeling of that motherfucker is just unmatched to me. Um, and it seemed like the pilot system. Eventually, they were like, okay, we just have to deprioritize this uh, to some degree. And like, there's stuff in there. Uh, the concussion system is there. There are interstitial events with them. They have like little personalities that you can see when you're looking at the, uh, you know, your interior of your hangar. Um, but it doesn't express itself mechanically in that way. And this is also like part of the, like the difficulty of like invoking Gundam. And like why I think that Phantom Brigade is distinct from what Gundam is evoking is that Gundam is about pilots, right? It is, it is about mechs and the Gundam is a symbol, but part of it is like the symbol is part of answering a question about people. Right. Like so much of UC Gundam is about what are new types, right? Like what does it mean to be able to connect with someone fundamentally and what happens when the state weaponizes that? That is not the question Phantom Brigade is asking, but it is invoking the like mechanical pieces that that question is explored through. Yeah, that's. um, It's one of it's it's it just strikes me as an odd thing, but like not every tactics game needs or or like it's one of those odd things it's become like almost the default we expect in the space where it's like where's my skill tray like how are my little dudes gonna improve but that introduces a whole bunch of things uh and sometimes it's it's it can be it can make for a better game if it does not right if you don't have to i imagine it gets a hell of a lot easier to balance if you don't have to worry about like well, this is what the mech comes in at a baseline, but if you put like these different builds of character in here, like now you're dealing with something much more complicated. I will say the game has a pretty like solid modding community. I think we will see these mods. Yeah. Like I am, I am, I am, the game has like been built with mod support from the ground up and as a single player only game, I'm pretty certain we will see pilot mods where it's like, okay, this pilot gets, you know. Yeah. These modifiers already exist, right? You can put a part on a weapon that gives it plus 20 minimum range and, you know, minus 20 maximum range or like plus 20, you know, max range or like expands the like you can expand that, right? These variables exist already. The step would just be tying those variables to specific pilots as opposed to particular parts right. of a of a weapon. So. Um. Well, that sounds really, really cool. Uh, I look forward to trying out 1.0 and uh, seeing what this is, seeing what this is all about. Uh, Patrick, you have you have been uh, playing Kirby Return to Dreamland. Deluxe. Uh, Thank you. Deluxe. Yeah, I forget the deluxe. Which means it's an upgrade of a Wii game, I think. is the, 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 uh, Yeah, Kirby is a, a series I... Always convince myself I want to play the next one because I love platformers. <laughs> I love Nintendo ones. And what I'm reminded every time I revisit a Kirby game is like, oh, right, this is meant for kids. Uh, and that is not a knock against Kirby. That is that is just the nature of what this franchise has always been. It is a cute, you know, platformer where you suck up other enemies and you transform that into a power. And some of the charm of it is just, what does that power do? And about an hour in, you're like, oh, it's like a sword and it's fire. And it's you can fly with this one a little further. Uh, and so it's it's a really beautiful update to uh, a pretty solid game. Uh, my understanding is it gets a little challenging towards the end, but uh, I've played through the first world. Uh, it looks great, but it is it's a Kirby game. I think the closer they've gotten to sort of uh, like trying to bridge that gap between 
sort of the expectations of a kind of Mario style platform or a game that can be played by younger audiences, but has plenty of challenge and mechanical depth to be interesting to uh, adults uh, is is the, mo- is the most recent one. I forget the one where he eats things. I, I forget the forgotten something, something. The, the most recent one where, where Kirby can eat like cars and uh, mouth, Vore the Kirby. With the mouth, uh, yeah, mouthful mode. Vore Kirby. Yeah, mouthful mode. Yes, yes, Vore Kirby. Uh, that one, you know, I, I actually had a decent time playing single player. I was playing it with my kid uh, in which the, I was doing the co-op. The problem with that was that I <laughs> she got to be Kirby that all the, it had all the interesting mechanics. And I was a guy with a stick uh, trying to keep her alive, but did not have as much to do on a minute to minute basis in the game. I don't know why they just didn't let you play a another Kirby character. Like the whole reason you play a Kirby game is to, to Wait, be Kirby could you get, and in co-op mode. Could you get powers? You don't though? get to be Kirby. No, that's well, because that's like the classic. So like that's like the SNES, like when you would play two player in um, whatever the name of that one, the the one that has Ultra in the name, Kirby, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, they did an update of that one not too long ago. You would I believe, you would you would uh, play well. you would play as a Waddle D, like the standard you know little like faceless not Kirby like enemy, but then you could throw powers at it. Yeah, and I have that. No, I can that. do that. You could turn you into so, no, I don't. No, you're not transforming. Aww. You just you just have sort of like some basic attacks. Oh, and so okay. while I, my daughter is deciding between like, mm, so I want like the cool frozen attack or like yeah. this big sword. I'm like, I guess I could throw the stick at the enemy. <laughs> um, it's fine. I just I just wish they had a clone of Kirby. It would just be more interesting sure. as a co-op experience. You know, it's but it, but I, I think it's because they have designed it to be like you are the support character, yeah. maybe a, like frequently a parent playing with a you know a kid. And for that experience, it was fine. Her interest fell out about halfway through. Uh, and we've never gotten around to it. And so this game, I played through the first world to see, is there something for me on my own? The answer is no. And then the question of whether I'll continue to play, which by all accounts appears to be an excellent update of a pretty good game, is is, is my child interested? And if she's not, uh, I don't think I'll play. What it, she, uh, she recently is just like, hey, I've watched a bunch of survival videos on Minecraft. Like, let's play survival. It's like... Kiddo, I think that's where you actually have to play the game. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but let's 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 give it a shot. Yeah. Spent like ninety minutes getting our ass kicked. I was like, this game is hard. Yeah. Like, how do you actually build a sword when you don't when you can't just open up the inventory type sword and have it appear into your arms you or some, you gotta not go fly away? You gotta go fucking punch a tree. You gotta go punch a tree long enough that you got enough blocks Bro. to put those blocks in a line that? that turns into a sword. <laughs> Kato, you're gonna, you're gonna, you. I think we are gonna have to do. I, I was, I was tasked. My, my daughter yes. said, "Can you go figure out how this game works?" And I said, "Okay." Yes. And because Minecraft is the consistent thing. I, I also, I'm, I think Rob, I think specifically, I'm gonna curse you with registering a Roblox account. Um, oh no! I want to show you what I spend most of my time doing with my child. Google. Or don't actually. No, I don't want you to no, look up what the game Adopt Me is. Don't look any of that up. <laughs> but just you, dear listener, know I've been I've been meaning to do to vocalize this stream idea, um, and then I I keep forgetting. So I'm doing it here, so I'll remember it. It's not going to happen this week. Rob reacts. Rob taking blocks. Rob reacts. Yeah, Rob. Re- our new feature. Rob, Rob reacts. reacts. Um, Dark. Uh, it's going to include uh, Rob reacting to Roblox, uh, Rob reacting to, wow, this sure seems like an Elsa is pregnant app on the on the app store. Oh. Um, you know, <laughs> we'll just, uh, they've gotten rid of most of those. Oh and then God. I was, my youngest wanted 
we've gone through all of the Elsa stuff that we can reasonably download. And she's like, can I get something else? And I was like, all that's left here is a weird looking pregnancy app. And I am not downloading that one. So let's, can we pay $3 in a different app to unlock something for you to do? But yes, uh, I kind of, yeah, I'm assigning two streams here. One, I need a Kato teaches Patrick how to actually play <laughs> Minecraft stream. So I oh, can good. then pass that on to I my, like my is, kid. And then so ripe for like flash forward a year from now. And Kato <laughs> is now like, Assigned to occasionally, like, could you just help level? Yeah, Rob. Jessica yeah, Kato, I'm gonna need you to play Jessica, with Jessica. It's time oh to play God. with Tio Kato. Uh, <laughs> time to. I'm, uh, you're gonna remote be- babysitting is in now. All of a sudden. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. So yeah, think about that, Kato. They want to start working on a lesson plan yeah. for me, uh, so then I can work on a lesson plan for my kid. Oh my god! Because all of a sudden I realized I'm looking up. Like there, I couldn't just. I was like, can I just buy an Amazon like a recipe book that just like shows like so I can just like page through. Yeah. It's like no, I'm looking at all these shicky wiki, shitty, shitty wikis. wikis. So if someone actually <laughs> shitty wikis, someone if there's like really a book I can buy on Amazon, it, it could just be a PDF that people have, like put together. <laughs> I know. I feel well, like I've all of them are book like at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> like <laughs> so there's a lot of Minecraft books, yeah. but some of them are more advanced. So it's like here's how to build like a castle. It's like I don't need to know. How to build right. a castle? I need to know. You just need the recipes. How to, to the fucking I, castle? To, just get. <laughs> I, did they not? I feel like they added those into the game at some point where you can see certain recipes. But, you can, yes, okay. you yeah. can. But like, it's what it's doing is it's like, hey, you have these objects. Here is like what you can do with those objects. Right. I most I want to like my kids like, hey, I want to do this. Like, can I page through a thing? How Part of this is the disconnect that? of right, right, right. is is the is the pivot to like video tutorials, right? Like right. that stuff exists in a twenty seven minute YouTube video that I don't want to scrub like through the captions of. Like, can I control <laughs> F through the accessibility captions right. to find out the answer? So if people have an answer to that. And please, especially if uh, she's d- watching watching content where like people start building things that are like complex machines in that game where it's like I want to build quite a gotten there she it's more it's more watching like yeah yeah groups of people play like role play and like play the game and then yeah. certain certain basically like she watches those videos then like f- certain terminology filters down right. that she uses out of context and then I need to google it to figure out <laughs> what are you asking um and that is the the stage we are at with with Minecraft so anyway yeah long story short the new Kirby seems great but like you know know what you're going it's it's Know what you're in for. It is it is a it is a good Kirby game, but not one that is you, you're gonna have to turn your brain off to to play it. I assume at some point in your life you played Superstar, right? The yeah. SNES. Yes. One. The, that yes. one yes. I feel like is the like the one that I think actually the sweet hit. spot. Yeah, like the one where like it was still like challenging enough of a car. It was like the one I always were like kind of compare every Kirby game to afterwards. Just like that one felt good to play, even you know. When I was like in high school, instead of like a, t- a small, small child, right? Like, yeah, I I agree. Like, and, and this one is like you know being a two D one. Like, it's they're all chasing right. that, that, right? Like yeah. that is what the series has been chasing ever since. But and it's always I respect that they're like, hey, Kirby is just it's off here. Mm-hmm. Like there are so like Nintendo makes so many other games that like can appeal to you know a broad right. swath of ages. But like Kirby is like, hey, this is for baby's first platformer. Just like have some fun with <laughs> yeah. it. It's like that's yeah. fine. And this and this new one is is another one of those. Kato, I saw here you added it late, but I was so thrilled to see you see that. Oh you my did. god! Can we take a break first? <laughs> take is it gonna be? Is this gonna be? I was. Should we take a break? Is it long? Because I was thinking we just hit it short and then go to break. But yeah, I if mean, you have a lot to say about the <laughs> poker deck building game. 
There's we a fair pause. amount. I mostly yeah. I need to I need to get some water first. All I right. Think. <laughs> uh, then we are going to, I guess, describing these two games that they've been playing is going to be thirsty work. Uh, get <laughs> get prepared uh, oh, for, better, for the Cotto um, corner. It sounds like we have got to get a big today. glass of water. And as you know, this is just bringing the podcast full circle. Yeah. Frankly. Actually, I've got a I got a hydro, actually, I got a big old just, bottle I for that. Just ran out of my mason See, jar. that's it, Cotto. The, the, yeah, me, me too. Gotta get, gotta get invested in some bottles, yeah, some just, good ones. Water can last for days, you know. It's like, thirty-two ounces. So this, this is yeah, we gotta go to break. That's a knock on the door. Could be an inspector. Be right back. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we are back. Building inspection passed. Electrician ambiguous about a question I had mm-hmm, mm-hmm, gave mm-hmm. the best possible oh response God. to a question about like, is this a problem? And he was like, it could be, but it might not be. That's just, but that's just what owning. That's like just owning do? property, Rob. Do like wanna, everything you around you is. Is this a problem? Well. Not at the moment. <laughs> He's like, it looks to me like this digital switch is not playing nicely with these LEDs. We could go to an analog switch, but we don't have to. And I was like, well, what could? What if we don't? And he was like, well, maybe nothing will happen, but maybe the LEDs will burn out faster than they otherwise would. What's a what's a digital switch? What's the is so apparently um, this is something's changed in lighting technology in the past uh, several years. Okay. Uh, so used to be all dimmer switches were analog, uh, mm-hmm. where you're, I think you're basically like adding or subtracting resistance uh, to the to the circuit, which causes obviously like less or more current running to the lights, which changes their brightness. I think this is basically driven by LEDs and the different way that they operate versus incandescence. But now there's an extensive uh, variety of digital. Uh, LED switches that are not doing that and are instead like uh, little like mini computer chips uh, ah. that are adjusting the light level. And in general, I guess that is better for uh, for LEDs. But in the but you do get weird conflicts. And so it does appear that I've got a conflict like that uh, with a Vix I put in my house. And so he's like, we could do, we could do like the, the analog version of the switch you have from the same company. So I was like, sure, let's, let's try that. Cause like, you know, who knows? Um, you know, yeah, like it's one of those things where I, I flash forward a year from now. Mm-hmm. And if those like expensive track lighting cans that I bought burned out, I'd be furious. You know what I mean? Like a year from now, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, damn it. I, I should have. I should have done it. If only he'd been more forceful. Uh, but how with it? He's got him here now. So he will. He'll put in a different switch. I just don't understand. Like, 
why digital is better in this case. Like if if the analog if if the LEDs play nicely with the the analog dimmer, then the march of progress. Why did we Bob? move off I analog? I, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't trust that. Listen, I I don't want any digital. I I, I trust knobs and resistors. I'll be honest. That's what I need. <laughs> this is the problem with looking at cars, right? Like yes. I'm, I'm still is is uh like the, the way you know, like the Teslafication of of cars is just the the absolute worst. Like the oh fact no, that Patrick. One car manufacturer still stands strong. Yeah, and when I look at you, I see a man who has that zoom zoom spirit. <laughs> zoom zoom! Oh my God, wow. that is a commercial pull. What is what wow. is that manufacturer? I forget. That's Mazda. 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 So <laughs> Mazda is very funny. Dylan Matthews, wow. uh, who I think is like a policy reporter of it, like Vox, posted this thing a couple like a couple weeks ago about like Mazda would sell so many more cars if they switched to touch interfaces, but they don't for purely ideological reasons. He got roasted <laughs> for it because one, Mazda fans are very passionate about their cars. Uh-huh. Uh, they're a small manufacturer, relatively speaking, but like people really love their Mazdas. But two, like a lot of people called him out for like obviously putting touchscreens in there is also an ideological play right it's a it's a belief that like this technology with capacitive touchscreens is inherently superior across the board of course we should put that in cars because that's progress and they suck like most car reviews are like boy these things are really hard to use i want my volume knob back i want more things to be on switches and buttons mazda basically like I think the latest cars do have touchscreens, but predominantly the way you're supposed to interact with them is with a um, control knob that they have a very like simple crude interface where like it's behind where your shifter would be. And it just cycles between options on the menu. Very coarse grained, uh, but you're never leaning forward and like looking at the screen, tweaking stuff mm. uh, on it with your with your finger playing like hunt and pack. Yeah, it's a nightmare. So, yeah, get that. Get that Mazda SUV, baby. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready to zoom. Uh, I need to, I need to zoom t- children to different locations at once, which is becoming <laughs> an increasingly d- more difficult prospect. So please, I need to zo- I need to zoom one way and zoom the other way, Rob. So really, this mantra is exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, I, I uh, also I'm I am low key secretly also like diehard Mazda fan at this point. Like, <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. We got a used Mazda, like a uh, used nice. Mazda six. Like this was the car that replaced my venerable 1997 Camry. Uh, so it was an emotionally fraught moment oh. to like finally put that thing out to pasture. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like a 2010 Mazda six. And I was like, Oh wait, I didn't know cars could be like this. Uh, and, and part of it is like, they just have really like responsive. They're fun. They're, they're really like, responsive and fun to drive um they they don't feel like you were fighting the mass of the car uh ever so yeah they've gotten they're, they're really nice and predominantly yeah, they're the only manufacturer that hasn't basically gone like fully teslified and it's such a bad trend uh so, well where- the, the 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 you can get cars that like split the difference like we put in a, a you know a car display into our car but it's just so that it was easier to get to like the car play like android auto stuff so like playing maps and music like you can access it on your phone it'll reflect on the screen or if you're at a stoplight like it's easy enough to pull up the frozen soundtrack or or whatever like that's fine but i still have all my buttons and crucially i can control the volume to all the stereo stuff from like the like the, the from the wheel i can do it on the device or i can do it on the wheel and like that's what you lose in a lot of these is like hey do you want to 
open the window i pull up you know pull up, pull the up third window sub menu like, the, yeah. it's like no like that stuff just like ah yeah and it's the like i saw this uh like thing the other day where it was like uh bmw and mercedes have completely opposite philosophies about the future of car interfaces and i was like stupidly i was like oh is one of them like getting back to like good knobs and switches and and good like cockpit layouts no, it's Mercedes is trying to like turn every single surface in the uh, forward passenger compartment into a touchscreen. Yeah. And BMW's idea is no controls at all, only voice and heads up displays. Boo. Which does or look very futuristic. Hell. But also looks stupid because there's nothing that I hell, like the things stupid, I need access stupid. to. And this is like, <laughs> we like, it is so incredibly irresponsible to like take routine things like, ooh, it's a little like toasty in here. I'm going to turn down the fan or like adjust the you know temperature in the car a bit to move that off of like knobs and switches and instead put it in like behind layers of like touch interface. It, man, people are terrified about the version of the future they saw when they were a kid being wrong, huh? And are willing to just fucking ruin every single every single object within within arm's reach to get to it, huh? Well, it's, it's just, just how do you like, get people to, how do you get people to buy new cars like they buy other appliances? Like, is ultimately like what is happening well, to the car market no, is Jesus like, Christ. well, you should have this thing for fifteen years if you take care of it. Yeah, but how do we get you to buy get like get you to buy one in five years uh, when it's uh, and it's like it's, and yeah, there's actually another thing in play, Patrick. <laughs> Which is that every car manufacturer wants to be selling subscriptions to various services. And that's a hell of a lot easier to do if you have all the things in your car running as an app. The car already has a subscription. It's called the fucking insurance. (laughs) It also it also keeps you going like part of the thing about like it's this is the this is the mechanic problem, right? Like the more digitized these systems get, the harder it is to just like hit up a mechanic that doesn't work for the dealership you bought your car from. Yep. So, uh, Patrick, you have my sympathies, but I do think uh, mm-hmm. I think Mazda's uh, the there list. for you. We got to start. Uh, you know, I miss those President's Day sales, but uh, you know, I'm 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 we're on the horizon. We, I've I've stretched myself as thin as I can. Eventually, I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> much like your your analog, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, dimmer switch. I need to, I need to switch to digital, and eventually I'll be doing that. They invented they invented power windows, and then it's all been downhill from there. Go back to bring back the crank. I used to have to crank that window. The crank was great. I mean, it was terrible, but I, I'm with you. I know. I'm with you. So many, so many little joys of the economy car, like the uh, just like laying yourself out to adjust that passenger side mirror, or maybe you didn't have one. Uh, that was that was certainly the case in a couple cars. Uh, my my family owned. I think the scariest car I ever rode in was a Toyota Tercel. I think it was a little warhorse, but. I have never been so conscious at, of like my own fragility as when uh, I'd be like barreling along the skyway with my dad and he's driving like, you know, 80 miles an hour in this like, you know, a thousand pound, if that like Toyota Tercel and you are just like inches from the pavement and you just hear it whishing beneath the thin little floor. And I was like, <laughs> if anything goes, if anything untoward happens, this car is just going to confetti around us uh and and then so, where will we be yeah someone is some you know uh drops a red shell uh <laughs> rob's car is not gonna be able to go over that uh anyway kato yeah i hope 
you filled that uh, that doer of yours just to the brim with uh, with, with water. Yeah, because I, I've I have a I have a thirsty task for you and you need to talk about two games. I, I do. I, yeah, I've got two. Um, Aces can... and Adventures, the yeah. poker, like a game that really did look like as I was watching a trailer, they were like, it's a poker inspired deck building game. And for a while, I was like, that just looks like magic. That looks like Magic the Gathering in a lot of ways. And then suddenly there was poker happening. <laughs> so, Kato, tell us tell us of these aces and these adventures. And these adventures. Well, the aces are pretty neat. The adventures, uh, you know. the This game is it's a pretty interesting uh, mechanic send-up of, not send-up, but like version of the, you know, traditional rogue roguelike deck builder where you've got actually two decks this time one of them is a standard 52 card uh deck like what what you would play poker with and the other is an ability deck which is filled with cards that you would kind of expect out of this type of game you know your standard get get some shields your do some extra damage to multiple enemies on the field and uh you 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 kind of have this uh layout where you've got in the center like a positional left to right where you are where the enemies are above you see the enemy's hands when uh the game shows it to you and below you have your hand um and essentially what you do is each turn you have a single attack and to attack you pick out your best poker hand in theory although a lot of the times what you're doing is picking your highest card your highest single card because you know sometimes you, you draw a hand and all you've you've got is ace high <laughs> that's your hand well that's um, thing in real poker unlike movie poker most hands are trash yeah exactly like sometimes you got two pair and like but one of those is a 10 and yeah. one of them's like a seven you're like i'm gonna put everything in on this piece of shit <laughs> i've got um uh, 2.2 hours according to Steam on this game and I have played one straight uh, so that's about how it goes it's mostly singles sometimes if you're lucky you get some pairs and those that sounds like most of my experience playing actual poker right. at a table yep. is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's but reflective so it's like, of reality so like the way that the turn structure kind of works though is that you, you get a hand of three of your ability cards and four uh, and a five a hand of four a five hand five card hand of of the poker like the regular playing cards and you just choose what you want to attack with if you attack with a single um you your your character has attack and defense stats the attack stat is basically subtracted from the enemy's defense and then that number that's left over is how many cards they draw off the top of their deck that they get to choose from to make their defense so like, I'm I have a hand that ha- and my highest card's a king. I think that's good enough to hit with. My character is the warrior. They have like a three attack. I'm attacking this rat that has like a four defense. That means it's gonna draw one card. And if that card is better than a king, then it defends. Or if it's a if it's a king, it defends. If it's better than a king, it actually hits me back instead. Um, so depending on these various stats, you can kind of game out the odds of like, how likely is it that my attack will go through? How likely is it that they will, uh, send that back to me? And 
you you can start basically card counting because in, until you go through the entire fifty two card deck, there's all of that just goes into a discard right next right next to it, and then it uh. and then at a certain point when it, you run through it, it resets, and that's not even like per battle. That is the entire kind of length of the story you're going through because each each like turn you might only be drawing one or two cards out of that deck the whole length of the story you kind of know the enemy deck has like oh they've already played their aces like two battles ago like i know this um, ace is safe right huh, uh, there's really cool. and like just even just that is kind of a really interesting uh way to balance out this idea of like you're getting random cards but at a certain point you can kind of whittle down and you know okay i know this is going to hit is, is is it game tracking any of that for you, or are you just are you like t- just mentally sort of compartmentalizing? Like, I'm yeah. Pretty sh- oh yeah, they definitely like, but you can't you can't like look at the discard pile you know, and like see. I haven't. It's it's fa- it's sitting face up in a way where I think if I clicked and like dragged through it, I might be able to. But mostly, you can only see the top. What's on what's on top? If unless okay. you're, I I'm not sure. I haven't actually checked. I've just been doing that naturally like compartmentalizing and being like yeah oh yeah i remember they played they already played some aces like, when you're I, a card fiend like <laughs> Kata. well this is just building off of card sure. shark right like sure, you learned right. all of your <laughs> techniques in in that game yeah. and just bringing them over to to this one so that's the standard attack but you have the second deck the abilities deck and your character has traits and what the abilities deck cards are normally is some of them are, are free and you can play them and they're like, draw three more cards from your ability deck. Some of them are, they cost a card in your hand, usually of a specific suit. It'll be like, there's a little diamond, so you play one diamond and you can play this card that's deal two direct damage and it doesn't take up your attack. Or sometimes it'll be like, it'll use your attack for the turn, but you're dealing more damage than normal. And that's kind of how the warrior plays out. There's different classes, and, like, this kind of gets explored in a lot of different ways. In some ways where, like, I didn't, like, super quickly grok the mage the first time I played it, and I actually died halfway through that 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 run. What's really great about this is that the runs are super short. Like, 20 minutes tops for, like, a story, like, uh deck i guess is what they, they are literally you can see at the yeah so patrick uh posted a a screenshot in the top right there's like a little story deck which is where the um the cards that like are all voice like acted fl- flipping, kind of like flipping through chapters basically, yeah like, and then like the, they'll, the every deck. once in a while there'll be like a choice and you pick between two of them branching branches out are, a little bit is the but, is the green like li- like lines that are kind of emanating out are those the car like the resource cost of that card or well like, so for exactly? what you're seeing here is i believe an attack or defense that's a, that's an attack so like the two the player has played two tens and that's right. attacking that enemy with those two tens and the okay. enemy is defending with two eights so the the enemy has lost this this combat that you that you've uh pulled up here but you can see at the bottom there's that um thirsting fang card that has like mm-hmm. a snake on it it has a little heart so if they had a heart in their hand, they could play that, but they don't currently. So like that's not that's just kind of oh. Dead so right that now. is the that's all the resource cost is just having. Well, not even having like, you. You spe- it gets discarded with with the okay, use. Okay, I see. So it's like see, maybe the one heart in my hand is a king. That's a really strong attack card. But does the is the effect that the card's going to give me mm-hmm. worth it for that king right now? Okay, you know that's where you're kind of making these decisions. Is like 
you know. Um, and what's really interesting about um, the 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 some of the later things, there's like uh, later uh, characters. Is like there's um, you've got a warrior, you've got a hunter that has like a uh, raven and some summon companions, and there's like ranged um, positional. There's like a there's actually a lot of interesting positional things where like you're always in like a straight line from left to right, but that's also the attack order. So sometimes enemies will uh, shift over to the other side and attack f- before you, mm-hmm. but then there's enemies after you in a way where like there are cards that care about position. There's cards where it's like if when you're playing the summon character, the hunter, if you summon your dog in front and the enemy gets behind, you're not getting the bonuses from your dog and things like that. Um, but the the mage. The mage and the enchantress, the both both of the magic users in this have like decks where you are essentially never attacking. You you've basically completely like don't use the the main attack mechanic, which is why I lost the first time I played the mage because I didn't quite grok that. But they both have zero attack and zero defense, which means enemies were getting like a a slew of like eight cards at once to pick their defense from, which means they were always like defending and hitting me back instead of I'm have me having better odds. But what they do do is there is there's their um their cards are all about like hand manipulation. So actually what I needed to do is focus on the abilities and using only abilities and trying to draw and change the ability the like suits on the cards with the ability cards to make make my turns go just like I would never hit the attack button. I would only be playing abilities off of that. It's a very it was, it was a really uh, fun, like, switch up from the other three classes, which were, like, we're doing the same sort of thing where you're still attacking, but how you attack and what buffs you can give yourself are kind of different and flavorful in that way. So, mechanically, this game yeah. seems really interesting, and... Um, but you mentioned the adventures were <laughs> not. Yeah, it's... It's not the most compelling writing... Um, it's maybe a little overacted too, and it has this weird, like, every once in a while, it's like, you don't have to alliterate in every single sentence. No. You you don't have to rhyme every other sentence in the entire game. (laughs) Like, um... So first, it's just kind of like structurally not my bag. It wasn't offensive enough to like throw me off the whole experience, but I'm not super. It's like it's there. I get through it. Yada, yada. It's like a bit overdone. And there was this one weird side story where like. I (laughs) they just make a really weird analogy to giving out charity. So the, I didn't get the first card in this little story bit, uh, but the first card essentially read something like, um, once there was a man who like sat under an apple tree and gave out an apple to a stranger for free, and the, that stranger was fed for the day. And then uh, these are the things that followed that. I'm just going to drop them in here real quick. and can read through them real fast. Um, and then the second card in that story went... But world tra- word travels, and a single fruit does not sate for long. And soon, a line of a line coils around around the hill of the old tree. The hungry won't settle for song. And in the shadows, the man smiles. A meal made easy is no charity. It does not last. 
It is a shackle locked by life's own will. How eagerly it is taken to wrist if only it can be steadfast. Which is like, this is just like a weird, like, I don't know. You you assume it's going to be like some sort of like a uh, good Samaritan tale. And then it twists it. It's, it's like, trying to <laughs> give a mouse a cookie slash dark teach a man to fish. Yeah, like, dark teach a man to fish. Is give the a thing man a fish and enslave him. But then, mm. but then it does this thing. Power is the fallen apple. Acquired easily, it substitutes one's ability to climb. Its absence leaves one's weaker than when accept- accepted, and its presence only makes one hunger for more. It's like, that's a weird thing to, like, equate this, like, food, giving someone food is the same as giving someone pa- too much power, and power makes people power hungry, like, which is the same as food hunger? no and like there's a it's very strange (laughs) yeah i mean it's the weird construction there's what's driving at is that the man beneath the tree is like enslaving people use like he likes that he's right he likes that he's people depend on him now right right and so the gift is not a gift it it's it's, is taking from you but like it's weirdly delivered too. Like yes. that's part of it is like it's just kind of weirdly delivered in this in in these cards. It, because like it the, becomes, the writing is kind of weird. Yeah, the writing is 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 odd, and like like it's half the time I have to like reread it, even though it's being like voice acted. I'm like, wait, what is that sentence actually saying? Because it's kind of how eagerly off. it is taken to risk if only it can be steadfast. Doesn't yeah, stand I don't think to that, me. Like I yeah, don't know what that means. I'm not a hundred percent sure what they're trying to say exactly. Um, but like that one was just like the weirdest one, and it stuck out. Yeah, and it's just like a. I'm like, okay, I guess, and like it didn't end up meaning anything for what happened next. It was a weird like my character had a dream moment. And yeah. then I, there were no other mentions of apples or power in the moving on. Honestly, like it was no. weird. Kind of weird botched dark fantasy thing. Yeah. yeah, this is the. It's like this strange realm of fantasy that I'm not super into. Like I wish it was slightly more interesting. Also, this illustration of this lady. Hold on, let me find this. Here's the fun I was about one. to get sexy in here. Uh, kind of, I guess, if this is, um, I don't know why this lady is drawn in this pose from this angle. <laughs> the next thing she does is she, like, knocks you off this tower that you've climbed up on, but I don't know. <laughs> it's just weird. Your mushroom is ready, my lord. <laughs> It's very much those like. Oh, oh I, I, ebony I love ads. a good. Wor- I love a good wordless welcome. If you know what I mean. Oh <sighs> my god. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, a little like so. Yeah, because the thing is, this seems kind of obtrusive. You know, like slay the spire is like you just climb. Some goofy you, shit's gonna happen. But it's really shit. lightweight and thin. No, this and is like every every. It's it's much more story focused it's like every time after a battle you have like three or four cards of like story happening before you get to the next battle and like you know these cards there's not a ton of space that doesn't go on for too long but it's like but what if we just give you lots of cards (sighs) what if what if what if i could just yeah what if i could just do the fights that are actually you know mechanically pretty fun and interesting system i think and like um 
there's there's like a leveling mechanic too where like when you when you've beaten certain enemies you've got a choice to like either heal or level up always take the level up doesn't matter how hurt you are because the level ups give you like intrinsic abilities that actually make the decks work a lot of the times that was the one thing that i didn't do with mage originally because right. i got hit too hard and then like the like intrinsic abilities are actually what the decks are built around but um, i will always take an upgrade over yes anything yes and like i just i i really enjoyed the way they've played this like They've set they they both set up and then subverted their own system within the different classes. That's always a great. They've done a great job yeah. with that. Um, I wish the story was different. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I wish the writing like was decision. different. Like <laughs> the game sounds really really interesting, and then it sounds like there's kind of annoying parts that yeah. you just got to kind of get through. Um, you can play something else. Uh, I just want to touch on briefly here. Yeah, you've been uh trawling the briny deeps in Dredge. Dredge. Uh, which is a dark eldritch fishing game? Yeah, we played. We yeah. played. Yeah, Kyle and I played it uh, briefly during one um, la- last summer. I think. I think uh, that was last one summer. of the demo. Yeah, one of the demo fest uh, streams that um, you and I did. So people go back through the archives over at youtubecom waypointvice. You'll yeah. you'll find us playing. I think we were attempting. We spent ten minutes trying to get the eldritch horrors mad at us and failing I like we kept it, going through the day night we were going through like the night cycle yeah. and we we're like eat us eat us some and days then we, cosmic we horrors just aren't biting i think no they I, were not i think there's not. like a small section where they're like they like pulled back on that early on if if it was even in the demo but because we were f- when you get tutorial hit, territory when you get hit it actually does suck so dredge is this um it's really much more i think of a management game than a fishing game because when you think fishing game the mechanic of doing the fishing is usually like centered and forefront and here really what i think is the most centered and forefront is the management of how many fish you can fit on your boat you're doing this basically uh you know um resident evil fork uh, attache case uh, mm-hmm. Blocks spinning around a uh, little fish. Uh, your some little of the fishing boat hold is like you got a Tetris. Your oh, yes. we love we lo- we, yes. we stand we stand in inventory. There's a whole I haven't oh. played it, but there's a whole there was a game that came out I think last year that is like built around that whole UI choice of uh I'll look, I'll look it up while you continue to tell Dredge. Yeah. But there's something that is is riffing on the whole the like the the lost art of. Uh, having, having to, to switch a shotgun to vertical right. so you could fit an extra herb yeah. <laughs> underneath. Yes, 100%. And that is what th- that is the thing this game is doing like a lot. So like the, the, the way the ship layout is like, you know, you've got like, a bunch of little squares kind of in the shape of your ship and um, equipment that you use, like your motor, your uh, fishing lines. Eventually you can unlock nets. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm almost there take up slots on the ship already. So like already you're like at a loss here. You're you're working with less than you, than you would you wish you would have. And then the ship the the fish themselves are weird can be weird shapes. Like they're not all just like bigger or smaller rectangles. Some of them are weird little L shapes. Some of them have really big fins so that they make this kind of weird T hook UI thing. Like there's a lot a lot of that is kind of the mechanic of both like there's like a push your luck thing where like you don't want to be out too long 
because the longer you stay out at night, especially the more tired you get, the the and more like susceptible you are to um, eldritch horrors appearing around you. But also, also just crashing into shit, your field of view gets super tight. The the more tired you get, until like you're ba- I, I was doing bare like barely missing uh, and um, like things appear. It's basically like your field, like, 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 uh, the, what's the thing called when like things load in when my brain is broken right now? Wait, why can't I hear Patrick? The thing we're talking about, like the, the, Patrick, like, are you there? I I muted myself, but yeah, you're talking about like when you're like in a video game where like when you're like going through the grass and like the de- like the depth of like the grass like comes in like what is the, the, the like slider on that? What the what's the fucking name of that? Just like the field, not the field of view, but like oh uh, draw the, distance, the draw distance, draw distance. the draw distance. They actually it actually does like cut in the draw distance on obstacles mm-hmm. on purpose. It makes it kind a, of a, it actually part of the design as opposed to just yes, a, yes, like yeah. a graphic slider. Oh, that's interesting. That's kind of clever. because because you're yeah. like kind of tired and not like paying well enough attention and what happens when you crash is you lose space in the cargo hold like one of the boxes just becomes an x and and it is not usable until you repair and so you have to go into into the dock you're like docking in this small town story-wise it's like you're trying you're coming to a new town to like be a fisherman and then like you crash into uh you, you crash your ship and then wake up without any memories and you're given a boat and told to go fish and you'll pay off the boat as you fish and the fishmonger buys your fish. So already kind of strange goings ons when like the fishmonger asks you on day two to find one of those weird fish. Cause every once in a while you get a weird fish. That's an aberration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Basically mutant fish. Uh, they, are worth a little bit more money. Um, but they also, uh, seem to cause your like tiredness meter to go up a little bit faster than if you just had normal fish on your boat. And, <laughs> and it's then stalker. <laughs> yeah. And then like, um, the, the big thing that this game does also with, with like with management is this, the fact that the clock, the way the clock works is that it only moves, it's a, it's a fucking super hot situation. The world only moves forward when you move, right? So, like, you can only make it as far in a day as your ship will take you based on its motor. So, one of the things you want to get early to be able to go to further areas, different biomes and stuff is to upgrade that motor, um, you could, yeah, you have a very small kind of radius in Wait, your day. So does this mean like I can do the thing I do in Valkyria Chronicles where I fuck up, like I just path myself wrong and like the, the movement I wanted to make just doesn't pan out. And because <laughs> I just, I used up movement taking a, a bad route. Um, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. If you like go too far and then don't, and don't, don't realize, oh, that I've used half my day getting to this little Island I saw in the, and then like good luck getting back in time. Like, no, like, yeah, that's ex- especially, um, bef- especially if you haven't upgraded your, your, your engines, there's like a couple different ways. Like mm-hmm. you can just buy better engines and then you move a little faster, um, which is very funny in this game where like it matters if you actually crash into obstacles 
uh, it's both like, yes, you will get further, but also you have to be a little bit more fucking careful about... Will the damage be worse? <laughs> um, I don't think it's worse, okay. but it's already bad to begin with. Like, not, but you'll just have less warning because you'd be like zipping along. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can really... There so, are some tight straights. You can put yourself in some bad situations. Kyle, in what ways, in what ways is this game not awesome? Because everything I've heard so far is just green flags. Um, just, just well, it's not, it's not out yet. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think so far, like I've been in, I've been really enjoying it. I feel like maybe the, um, I would want one more thing to need to spend money on. I paid through my debts really easily. There feels like a little bit of the tension is gone. And the impetus there at this point is mostly like, I want to see more of the game without like there being as much of a narrative like hook to keep me going. And sometimes that's not always mm. enough. It's like, uh, I don't care about, like the world so i'm not gonna go back but there's enough like i've seen enough like if you look through the steam page there's like some areas that look really wild i'm like okay i wanna i'm they've they've teased enough in like the 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 things they've they've shown that i'm like i'm gonna i want to go see what that stuff is like there's like volcanic areas there's one really great moment when i was playing that i don't want to spoil but like a thing that me and Patrick were looking down for on that stream happened to me and like freaked me the fuck oh, yeah. out. Uh, Let's go. Uh, I don't want to say when or how that happens, but it's like the you can go through a bunch of days not really making any forward progress if you want to, like and just like fuck it, I'm not leaving this cove. I will you know, fish, I will sell those fish and I will buy an upgrade when I get there. But it's, it's kind of like the like push your luck mechanic almost feels a little too, I don't know if it's too punishing or like, I like don't want to fuck with it. Right. So like I'm always doing the safe days and it's like, progress can be slow if you do that you know mm-hmm. and it's more like you're you end up spinning your wheels rather than it feeling like something's pushing you to go further mm-hmm. right um and i felt like at first there was like this oh i want to get out from under this debt so that i can start buying upgrades that felt like enough of a motivator but then after you finish the debt you kind of freed up in such a way that there there wasn't i don't know i i feel like the some games I can I don't need that sort of like no I know push, what you mean but like, you know like you need some sort of like constraint or box to be put in in order to like give the game some structure and also some narrative impetus to keep going yeah. like it like, there have been a lot of games where like my big critique has added up to being like I don't know why I would continue to do right. this because like the friction is kind of gone my character's needs appear to be satisfied this like, is the there's no longer thing. much tension i feel like if they were just like add a thing where you have to eat every day and that yeah. like like you're part of the tension is just like survival but like there's none of that in there and so part of the tension is just do you want to see the weird shit that's further out you have to get these upgrades go like grind for these upgrades and like it, it'll be worth it if you push your luck on getting further out before you're ready because you get the bigger fish and the bigger fish will get you bigger money to get you to that upgrade faster so then you could go even further, right? And that loop is almost working but not a 100% yeah. click in a way where I'm just going to... Like, if I didn't... 
if I wasn't going to talk about it on the podcast, I might have bounced off earlier, honestly. It's just like, yeah. or not mm-hmm. bounced off, but more like left it and didn't feel the like urge to like have to go back. Because as of right now, I feel like I've seen most of what the game has to offer mechanically. It's more like this will change based on um, the weird shapes that they like the weirder shapes for fish, which are obviously they they're they like they keep adding each time I get a new fish. It's like, oh, this is a weird thing that I have to Tetris now. Um, and that part's fun. But how much am I willing to like spend time on getting right. further is kind of like the, the the one part that I feel like might not click for everyone. Uh, well, that sounds really interesting. Like maybe maybe that stuff would be fleshed out, uh, you know, when it when it does sort of come out for a final release. Uh, real quickly, I will just mention here uh, sort of as a probably a thing I'll talk about next time in a little more detail, but it just is it dovetails with this. I've been playing a game called the pale beyond, Mm. which is a visual novel slash like expedition management game that is basically like the terror uh, is the way it was season one of the terror. Uh, So the, the whole premise of this thing is you are the first mate of an expedition to the Antarctic. Um, I think it's a fantasy world uh, just from what I've gleaned about the geography of the planet. So it's not like, our Antarctica, but it is like a South Pole, uh, you know, icy, icy realm. And yeah, you're going on an expedition to recover a expedition that went missing years earlier uh, and may have come across like important information. But the the big thing is like getting to know all the characters on the ship and their stories, as well as, uh, you know, what you're going to be doing with each uh, each unit of time. The game unfolds in weeks of this this expedition. Uh, you know, each unit of time is going to be, you know, you have only have so many crew you can assign different tasks uh, and you're going to want to replenish resources as you consume them. But also, you know, it's that, that familiar tension of like mm. minding your basic resources, but also having people available to do like mission critical tasks, et cetera. And there's a lot of like, like branching choices uh that crop up in this game but the vibe is incredible so far uh terrific terrific soundtrack um i mean uh, terrific for me i like ambient music so you know <laughs> it's sort of uh slow tonal uh music is really working very tr- tremendous art uh all the way through just i i really dig it uh so far and we'll check in more with that later but also speaking of pushing your luck we should talk about the last of us again Mm-hmm. Uh, before we do that, I just yeah. want to put the game I was mentioning before was called Save Room. It's on Steam. It is mm. a it is a game about manipulating a Resident Evil style. It's basically Resident Evil inventory management plus Tetris, uh, which is a neat idea. But yes, The Last of Us. Oh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> I forgot to watch The Last of Us. I uh, yeah. My 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 girlfriend and I did not uh, watch it last night. Uh. Well, I did. Y'all can y'all can um, do it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't watch. We didn't talk about last week's episode either. So we can kind of just pack both those in uh, uh, real quick. Uh, uh, last week's was a real. Like, it was a real. These two episodes are essentially like let's take each actor and give them like a focal point, right? So we get Joel and Pedro Pascal last week. We get uh, this week with Ella and is it Bella Ramsey? I think is the uh, the actor uh, portraying Ellie uh, in in this story. And man, like the, the thing that I, I still think about from last week's episode is the way Joel says Tommy the first time they stroll yeah. in to that wintry town. Devastating. There's 
There is a way <laughs> he says that that is just there is. I didn't know it was possible to emote that much in the saying Single of a word. person's name. Yeah, I I found myself like if it went usually like a, a scene that's meant to like make you emotional and maybe t- you know tear you up or or get to crying. Like there was an arc to it. Like this was the equivalent of like a shotgun blast of emotion where he says Tommy in a way that I cannot convey at all in this podcast but i immediately felt myself like welling up with emotion even though all he said was tommy and then it cuts away and the scene just keeps moving but it was you know this show if if nothing else has been a real like i think a showcase of pedro mescal as like an actor in a way that a lot pretty much like every other work which is like leans more comedic or hides him behind a mask and the mandalorian like he's i thought he was tremendous in that episode top to bottom the age of pedro pascal has dawned (laughs) <laughs> uh, we, are, we are now we we are now thoroughly in his in his world but like dude that line reading jumped out at me too because like there's so much in it that you know immediately like obviously there's implications you picked up that like they didn't part on the best of terms but he still like loves tommy and cares about him more than anyone in this world but also there's those profound different and so like in that in that in the way he when he sees him there is that mixture of like relief that rush of like warmth and love. And also you sense that reserve and that fear uh, where he doesn't know how he's going to be greeted. Like the realization that like, well, Tommy's alive and well, but you haven't heard from him. Has he rejected you? Uh, And, and all of that is, is in that, in that sequence. And yeah, that whole episode is, uh, you know, it's funny here. This is a place where they really uh, sort of, blended together uh last of us two and last of us one right because this is effectively Mm -hmm. the town from the last of us two that they are that that they are in and they actually sort of go past the dam that is where tommy has set up camp in that first in in the first game like in the first game tommy is not like thriving in some sort of like little commune civilization like it's well, I, think, I think jackson is in the original game um but it's uh, all centered on the dam if memory serves like they are basically in a in a campsite by the dam and it's like that might be true that might be set, true. they're like, laying the groundwork for a later settlement that is not there in this way i mean they even i mean there's there it is very clearly you know that sequence where uh ellie where they're having food for the first time like you so clear you very clearly see ellie's future girlfriend you know peek their head out because i believe that's actually a callback to ellie talking about how the like she originally met that character was like oh like they popped their i don't know so it's something it's a similar beat they're clearly you know doing groundwork for the inevitable uh second second season there in ways that i think are really smart uh sort of like callbacks uh uh, just like knowing where these characters go, however you feel about you know where they end up going, that there is a path in front of them, and there is like so often with like this Joel because in some ways I don't know this was always there. Like I don't want I don't want to say like that you didn't pick this up clearly from Troy Baker's performance as well because like this has always kind of been Joel, but I don't know like there is a like maybe it's just because like Pedro Pascal has that charisma in some ways Mm -hmm. that the character model slash voice of of Joel in the game does not but like there's a sort of warmth and softness to him a gentleness at times that does make it a little more heartbreaking when he lashes out or walls people off the way he does like you know the drop of a dime uh in this in this series so like you know no sooner has he had the reunion with Tommy than 
he's lashing out at him for not dropping his whole new life and rejoining with Joel to go complete this mission. Like Joel can't, and, and we get that great catharsis, right? Because Joel can't share what's actually going on with him. Like mm. why, why is it so important that Tommy rejoin him? He frames it as, you know, he learns Tommy is married, has, has become like a pillar of this new community. Uh, and Joel frames it as like, well, this is a betrayal of me that you were not willing to throw all of that away to go on this mission with this child you don't know. And they have a really ugly falling out as they're supposed to be sitting down and having a, you know, a catching up on life uh, drink. There's that brutal moment of Tommy's trying to explain his anxieties about becoming a father. And Joel just responds with like, I guess we'll see if you'll be a good father. No, <laughs> yeah. Nothing beyond it. And brutal. it's such a gut punch. Brutal. Joel, what is wrong with you? Because you get you get the impression that Joel has spent what it's twenty twenty years from from the original yeah. events, uh, just not talking about it. Like yeah. it, th- th- this is not a man that ever has discussed or cried, at least around other people, about w- what they experienced with their daughter. This is someone who the impression is given to all around them. You don't bring her up. You don't talk about like it is just yeah. it, it didn't happen. Yeah. And they're. You know, when they went on their sprees where, you know, we, we, the sequence in Kansas City where they can identify someone running a grift uh, is because they used to do that grift themselves to, you know, murder innocent people, you know, to in theory survive. We don't get a good sense of like how they were getting along at that point. But we clearly we have Tommy, a character who seems like a little more well-rounded, has like a more of a like a base level human nature that you can empathize with. It's like, well, if Tommy was doing it. Then yeah. maybe they did need to do it to survive. But then, you know, we also but also his, Joel's the force of nature. Like he's giving it, the impetus for everything they do. Well, right. And that's what his wife. And that's what Tommy's wife is. like, well, you, you were just following him. Right. Like, yeah. so doesn't forgive you of your sins. But also Joel's a terrible. And when his wife like, runs Ellie, like you don't know him. Yes. Like, and she doesn't know him either, but she's heard enough. Like she's an ex prosecutor. You know what I mean? She has, <laughs> she has formed the case against Joel very clearly in her mind about how the various crimes uh, went down. But we do get that moment later where Joel breaks down and explain, this is a classic beat from so many movies, but like really popular in a lot of Westerns, the, the hardened gunman who just can't do it anymore. That the, the, the years of the adrenaline, the stress, the fear, all of it has been like walled off and masked, but it is there. And now it can't be denied that like Joel sort of confesses to Tommy that he is convinced he's past it, that he actually can't do this anymore. And he's going to fail Ellie in the clutch uh, when, when it matters most. And that's really why he needs Tommy to be the one to do it because Joel is, you know, the thing he lays out is that he's having like, panic attacks and flops was this is the meme that's going around twitter right now is him doing his like doubled over leaning against the the, the, the fence railing it's so good it's a great it's, meme. it's, it's tremendous it's a it's i i do love a good uh a good meme like this so expressive um but it's all, that's that stuff that was not present to my recollection in the game like yeah. this is something we talked about before the series started it was like are they going to be able to resist the temptation to ground and humanize Joel in a way that the game was more comfortable with him just being a cruel asshole. And that, you know, the player will end up like developing like this softness for Joel because of spending so much time with him, playing as him, just being around Ellie for that period of time. But like stepping back, that story like really makes it difficult. Like is, you know, obviously Joel went through a thing, but like 
he's a piece of shit. He, and like, I don't know the by the end. He has been, he has been an inexorable, violent force uh, whose mo- like primary motivation is selfish, uh, like care for family. Right. And it just felt like in the, ca- the character they cast and the way that just TV show storytelling tends to go, that inevitably they were going to head in this direction. I think like, so the, the, the sort of like physical manifestation of his like lack of emotional, like dealing with his emotions coming out in the anxiety, the uh, having that scene where he essentially admits like kind of emotional defeat uh, and physical defeat or how those two intertwine. I'm fine with them. Like I, I just, I knew that's the portrayal they were going to inevitably go with, with Joel. And I think it's, you know, a testament to Pedro's act, acting that it's like, ah, fine, whatever. Like I knew you weren't going to do this anyway. And it's, and it's fine that you're committing to, to this portrayal of Joel because like that scene with him and Tommy where he cries is like, gee, Jesus Christ, man. Like it was, it was, it was really tremendous. Uh, so you know that that the, the that episode continues on to. I saw some people talking about they they liked how they handled the uh, arrival at what used to be a Firefly research base uh, at like um, some sort of university, it's a university Colorado right? facility, yeah. 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 And talking about like how in the game it's just this like big, loud, long firefight, and here it's much more small scale and scrappy. But I also seem to remember in the game, and I think I actually preferred the way this was handled in the game. It isn't just that like they get randomly got by goons. If memory serves, like the implication is the Firefly base was hit by Fedra troops, and you get like into a big battle with the remaining like soldiers who are around. And I don't know the that's my memory of it. I just remember the entire sequence sort of filling in a bit more of a sense of there being this ongoing like uh you know, war in the shadows between the fireflies and Fedra that is also, you know, casting a shadow over your story. And here it just does feel very much like. Story's got to move. Sur- yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the, it's the inverse of the Kansas city stuff, right? Like, so whatever, I, I don't remember the particulars of, of that sequence. And for people who, uh, who uh, like me were watching this, like, Oh man, they cut the giraffe sequence that takes place later in the game. That's, like, the that's not, no, don't worry about that's that. not here. Like, <laughs> It's easy to mix it up because it feels like were it's the monkeys all... in the game. I feel like the monkeys were in the game, yes. right? Yeah, the monkeys were in the game. The monkeys were in the game. Uh, but the draft sequence is, is later when they're uh, headed towards the the hospital yeah. um, and all the stuff that kind of enta- you know entails towards the end of that story. But I think this is one of those moments we are seeing the limits of the time that they are working with, yeah. right? And so they they've they've picked their you know their storytelling fights, right? Like giving you know Bill uh, like an entire episode, giving the left behind DLC an entire episode with Ellie in the, in the, in the, in the most recent episode stuff like this, where I think it's like interesting world building. And I think it would make those sequences better. They just, just need Joel to get stabbed. They just need soul Joel to get stabbed. And yeah. That that was one where it felt more convenient than it was earned. Right. Like they need to get to this more of a plot and character beat for these two characters to set up a lot of what's going to happen in the, the final act that we're building towards because it just, not that Joel is portrayed as a force of nature by any means, but it did seem a little bit like convenient that, oh, Joel's extremely good and competent. And we just had the sniper rifle sequence not that long ago. And, and then and then he then he admits to himself, maybe I can't do it. And that's the one moment in which he can't do it. Uh, am I misremembering that in the game it's uh, it's more of an accident? He falls on 
like rebar, rebar I think. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Even that would have worked better in that situation where like it's less about the action rather than it's like a freak accident, right? Like it's just like sometimes in the world that they're living in, when you get something that injured yeah. on the way to somewhere, that's that's yeah. the thing that then Ellie has to deal with. Also, quick refresher on uh, traumatic wound care. Yeah, but <laughs> when you got when you get stabbed, something you get sticking out of you. Don't leave it pull in. the knife leave it out. out. Do not no, pull it out. Don't pull the fucking knife out. <laughs> <laughs> So that was the, that was oh, that yeah, was but like, it's so, that's that, that's so much less dramatic. Like you gotta be you gotta be thinking in Hollywood terms here. Uh, the thing that is but it's more like, uncomfortable it, but you for see the viewer. You start like geysering blood, and it's like Joel <laughs> would have seen a few like wounds like this in his time. Sure, that is definitely true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, which is it's why just the like, like accidents will fall onto rebar. But still, even then, like oh, you have to get that out because it's fucking probably mm-hmm. rusted. Like that's <laughs> probably worse. Yeah. Or I don't know. I feel like it makes. I don't know why they probably just because that's like a weird stunt they'd have to pull off. Yeah. And my, it was easier to just get him. How stabbed. is Ellie going to pull Joel off of the reap? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's like I, logistically I can see how uh, when you're having to portray it with like real actors right. that some of that stuff right. gets, hard, uh, you know, harder to hand wave. Yeah. Uh, but that does set us up for uh, a, a flashback episode centering on uh, Ellie as you know, she is, weighing whether or not to abandon him per his instructions as, as she's got him uh holed up in this house and we get is the flashback to uh you know her her time with uh riley and her time back in in the fedra the fedra school and i don't know patrick like patrick what did you make of this episode i thought it was all right i think the, i think like the actual game version of it is a lot better you know what's always interesting is i watched this with my wife who has no understanding of the story she was um like as soon as the episode starts she's like oh fuck i know what they're gonna do here uh like you just know like the the, the ta- you know the cards are on the table as soon as you realize you know she's like didn't she say that someone something happened in a mall it's like oh th- this is gonna be terrible <laughs> so you know i think this i think the episode's very effective at what it's trying to do like the mall location it's like they're, when they do the little like post episodes like behind the scenes and you realize how much of that is like a practical set that they were actually walking around you get a sense of the scale of like mo- like a show like the we can always compare this to, like the walking dead right and uh Alan Sepinwall, who's a, a a critic at the rolling the rolling stone that I've I I uh have referenced fairly often pointed out that like the walking dead would build this set and you'd be in this mall for a whole season. You know, <laughs> the last of us builds an expensive million, tens of millions of dollars set. And like, we're there for 55 minutes. And I think it's effective at conveying the characterization for Ellie. I think the, the actor who plays Riley, which is reminded me once again, that I need to traumatize myself as a parent and watch euphoria <laughs> because she comes from that show that I've heard is this fantastic. If like comically exaggerated take on, growing up as a teenager uh, these days. Uh, I think it all works really well. I just don't know that it emotionally landed in the same way that this is actually maybe one of those like times where some of the interactive elements of the game are just kind of impossible to portray uh, in, in, you know, a more static passive form like television where like the water gun sequence is alluded to in the show, but you don't actually get a chance to play it. Like actually playing that in, like, The Last of Us is, like, really powerful and interesting, like, actually going, walking through the arcade. There's just kind of, a, there's, like, a, there's a tangible aspect to the mall exploration that is, like, part of what you can do in games and what this show is constantly sort of, like, 
brushing past is the exploration element because it just wouldn't be very fun to watch characters, you know, poke around at little interactables for, for three hours. But like the mall is the quintessential. What is cool about doing this in a video game as the player is being able to walk into the shops and explore. And the, the show just doesn't have time for that and has to just land all of these beats with the characters. I also think it doesn't really do it as well as as the game does. I think the arcade sequence wasn't as interesting. I don't think, you know, I just think all this stuff is done better in the game, despite this one being written by, you know, Neil Druckmann. Um, so. This is, yeah, I was kind of struck by how cold it left me in large part, because this is the one where I felt like, oh, this is just a, they're just doing a sequence from the game as a TV yeah. show. And it is not working because this is effectively being brought over from a different medium and all these little beats for me land different and better in Naughty Dog games. And it's not really it is, this is like there. a like, yeah, this is not adapted, right? Like this is this is just kind of copying and pasted into a different medium. And I think it works on the strength of the two actors. Right. right. I think Bella Ramsey is tremendous. Like their acting just gets better and better episode. And like this is a really great showcase of Bella's talents, and I, I don't know the name Storm of Reed. Uh, the yeah Storm. I think also like yeah. amazing, like th- the way the two of them play, like the well, even like the Halloween sequence, right? So I was reading up. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, Kenneth Shepard was writing about this uh, sequence over at Kotaku, and like was reminding me about like in the Halloween sequence, which is lifted from the game. Like they're walking around and trying on different uh uh like halloween costumes and that's part of the the, the fun interactive bit is like oh i can pick up this one and wear it i can pick up this one and wear it but something that's lost in this episode that is much more present in the game is these characters have do have no context for what this mall is and the role it served and the, the one of the character different characterizations of ellie in the show is that oh they spent a lot of time reading about this like 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 90s uh, nostalgia was just encased in ice and uh, Ellie has a really firm understanding of it. And being able to pull off finishing moves in Mortal Kombat, like, fuck off. No, <laughs> not a chance. Those are hard as hell, and there's no way their first time playing it, despite memorizing the buttons, that you were going to pull that shit off. Well, it's unrealistic part of the show so far. You just need you just needed uh, you just needed mm, Riley mm. to like drop a Prima st- strategy guide at some point, and then you'd be like, <laughs> okay, I get it. Uh, but yeah, it's um this thing this thing does pay off and the emotional like payoff for the characters their their breach that opens up as uh riley's sort of revealing she's gonna leave them talking around their feelings for each other and finally like uh acting on them and then immediately having tragedy strike and them both realizing that you know this what was a moment of joy now is uh you know destroyed that they're the they both think their lives are that their lives are over uh but yeah, just the the structure of the episode is such a a literal adaptation of a Last of Us sequence that it just I was struck by how inert I found it uh, in a lot of ways. Right. The endless and like we got one more place to go, and in a game you're like, oh boy, quest. we go to each like yeah. fun new location, and here I'm like, I am ready to move this along. Like I yeah. uh, like show me the zombie, show me the zombie. Let's get let's <laughs> let's get the show on the road, and so like well, but. But the shows this episode seems to be getting rave reviews by and large, mm-hmm. and I am wondering, maybe it is just like if you don't have that comparison point. Yes. Uh, like in general, I've been impressed by like, oh, this is a clever difference between the show and the game. This was adapted cleverly. This is the first time I'm like, 
oh yeah they just did the game stuff here and i don't like that yeah and i, I think this is going to be the struggle if you are if you're familiar with the story and especially if you played the story right and you have an appreciation for the interactive layer that is just impossible no matter how creative you are like it's fundamental to the nature of games and as cinematic as the last of us is it also is taking advantage of those parts of games that you cannot place here and it finds other ways to replace that you know with uh you know, extended story sequences of things that weren't explored. It's, it allows itself to jump through time, right? There's a reason this is DLC. It's not integrated into the main game because The Last of Us takes place as one continuous story between uh, these two characters and the characters that rotate around them. And I think the show has, I think it's, I'm glad it's here and it's like it's integrated in a very natural uh, position sort of emotionally for the characters. But yeah, I do think this is a moment where, again, like I turn to my wife and she's, you know, bowled over by the episode and like, and it's like, yeah, cause it's like we said at the start, it's got good bones. And <clears throat> if you didn't mess with it, I think they've done a good job of building on that. But had they not even done that, I still think this show is like a huge hit. And like, they essentially just shot this one-to-one with physical actors. It's an enormous show. I think we've been fortunate yeah. that they've done more than that um, with the show. Maybe they could have gone further, but I think episodes like this are an example of they kind of didn't need to um or don't always need to and that's what'll make me i'm i'm curious will the have we run out of runway for the show to do more as we head towards its conclusion i don't know i'm i'm really fuzzy on the exact events of like what you know there's like the long winter sequence how much are we going to get of that because there's a uh, long sequence in the game so like we're, we're like ellie's on, her, ellie's on her own right uh, are we really going to compress I, the entire like Oh, you're rescued by this weird can like uh cannibal cult effectively, and now we're gonna discover what's going on there and then the break the breakout from it. is that all is that all gonna happen one one episode? Pretty intense. I have no idea. Yeah. 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 Uh, I will also say this in this episode, it did occur to me too. They might be laying on the Ellie obsession with violence thing a little bit thick at this point. Like uh I immediately thought of Ren's point from the other week, but they're like when Riley shows up, Riley's got a gun. Because uh, she joined the Fireflies and like Ellie's just like, give me the gun. I want to hold it. I want to eat the gun. I want to touch it. Let me kiss the gun. Oh, gun. You are so beautiful. It is like uh, it's coming. It's being laid on with a trowel. Well, but, but but Rob, I think the reason that is happening and the reason it is heightened relative to what the story we like experienced in the first game is if you're going to make the second season of this make sense. You have to be laying some groundwork for Ellie. And like I, I think that is going to again, I don't know no. how the second season is going to work, but in knowing that they're doing a second season, like they've done other types of work to set up plot beats and character beats. G- given the events of the second the second season, I think having a little more bloodthirsty Ellie, even if I don't necessarily like that character work, because I don't necessarily like where that story goes in its second season, uh, or in the second game. I think it does narratively make sense yeah. to be t- tilting the character more over that. Like when she had, you know, when, when they both get bitten and she's just smashing up the store with a bat, it's like, okay, well that Ellie is very much present in where this story goes. Um, and will make a little more sense if they've, if they've laid the groundwork there. Yeah. I think it is also like, I mean, this is the difficulty of the adaptation, right? There's so much character work you can do through combat that like, there is no other place. You, you can't have Ellie participate in the murder of like 15, 20, 30 dudes. And that in this TV show, you just, you just can't, that's not how TV shows work. That's not how stakes work in this particular medium. And I think that this is like, 
honestly, this kind of relates back to what you were saying about Joel and like Joel's uh, and like Pedro Pascal's performance. The fact like, I don't think you can adapt Joel's specific character in The Last of Us to a show and have it feel like you're watching a show about a real human being. Yeah. Right. There is like right. a level of abstraction and melodrama that games are allowed to do as a medium that has become like generally accepted that you just straight up cannot do in a more like grounded television series. They like made this. a movie about uh, Joel from the last of us and it's old man with Stephen Lang, uh, which, which is effectively like a hyper protective, like scary old shit kicker horror movie, uh, which oddly enough came up uh, on the man hunting is going to drop this week. Uh, Cause Alex brought it up. It's been in front of mine, but like that's kind of the closest you get to video game. Joel, uh, in a film medium. Right. And, but also like you cannot get the affect that Joel has right. on people through that. Cause like, I'll say people do like Joel, like my girlfriend likes Joel and like cares about the version of Joel from that game. And like, it, it thinks he sucks, but like fundamentally cares about him. I don't think you could watch a show where he kills 30 people and you're like, damn, that's a dude. I fundamentally no, care about. Even if I like now fucked. he's, now yeah. he's a horror movie character for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, but I, I'm I'm kind of with you as well, Patrick. That like they're trying to lay on uh, lay groundwork for explaining why it's consistent with character that like Ellie would turn into such an irrational and driven killer for like a year for the dur- just the duration of an <laughs> eternity. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in this vengeance quest. Um, because it always it always felt so forced for me in the second game where I was like, yeah, Ellie became very comfortable with violence. But like. This is a different level of obsession and like blood bloodlust to that just wasn't there before. And uh, I I never felt it was it was like established well enough to be sort of an earned uh, an earned motivation uh, for for what unfolds over the course of that game. But yeah, if if they're trying to spackle over that that conflict uh, with the two seasons of the show, then I guess we'll see. We we will see how it goes. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. very curious. I, uh, uh, Alana Pierce, uh, who's a writer over at Sony Santa Monica, was formerly a, a host over at IGN, uh, has been doing th- this thing every Sunday where she watches the show and then plays up to the point that the game has gotten to. And I felt less compelled to do something like that with this first one because it's felt like it's going to play things kind of pretty straight but boy when we get to the second season i am absolutely going to do that same experiment of like i want to track the story that's happening in the game relative to the adaptation and uh whether we do that streamed or just for for fun um i i I am apps because i'm just so curious about where that's going to go I, I have been effectively, do, which is which is fun. Like I've been, uh, we've been, my girlfriend and I've been playing like The Last of Us two every single time. Like an episode drops, like I go over and like we hang out and like sport sp- sports Sundays are fun. Um, <laughs> sport. Some people, Rob and I have sports Sundays. Uh, Ren has sports Sundays. Sundays. Yeah. Originally, it was a Chiara you Tuesdays, but uh, we rescheduled. <laughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> Chiara you Tuesdays. <laughs> I, oh, that was TLOU Tuesdays. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought there was uh, a CH in there. And there was, there was. There she, was, there, there, there was. was a different yeah. accent going in there, and that's how that <laughs> renders. Uh, so I think what's gonna be very funny is I'm so curious. You know, at some point, executives HBO will be like, "Does Joel really have to die?" <laughs> like. 
what if he were just like knocked out for like six episodes of like it was real bad i think know. they're just i think they're just gonna ramp up the the flashbacks right like my guess is that is how well, but right? they, you remember like the 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 sequence in last of us part two yeah. where and they are they again this is them laying the groundwork where this the obsession with space is not present in yeah. as uh, with ellie in the original game that is something they've kind of put here which is clearly setting up the, hey, rob did you did you like the, the this season of the show just doing a straight adaptation of walking around them all. Well, get ready because yeah, I'm sure an episode of season two or season three, because they're going to clearly have to split it into two parts, uh, is going through that, you know, that museum. You know what, this, this is actually a question. Th- yeah. Sorry, Kato, go. Well, I was just wondering, do they do the time time skip flashback format the same way? Right. Or are they? Maybe season two is actually is, filling in the gaps. Right. Yeah, leading, like just bridging. Directly. But because if, if yeah, but wasn't some of this stuff. Some of this early stuff, at least, that was added in not this past episode, but two episodes ago with in the commune. Some yeah. of that showed up in some of the flashbacks in two, right? Or, or little bits of it. Where yeah. Right. Like that wasn't in the original game. Yeah. Um, but by and large, like the what, what happened in the previous episode was the the prologue of Last of Us 2 is where right. you go around the community and, and sort of take the vibe. Now we now we do it here. Um, But. So you said there did like Patrick, you were sort of reminding me like, you know, we're going to get the space museum episode and it sort of helped me put my finger on maybe something that is leaving me a bit cold with this adaptation. Uh, at every turn, this adaptation is like, let's make it more heartwarming, but also like meaner in some ways, like, which I think is in keeping with what last of us two ends up doing, which is like, mm-hmm. it alternates between like, blood curdling violence and then mawkish sentiment that's sort of meant to justify like well obviously now it's so sad what happened and that justifies the blood curdling violence and like it, it goes back to sort of the bill story here as well where it's like we're going to make bill just a soft cuddly teddy bear uh survivalist and we're going to sort of dump this rendering of him as a maybe still affectionate and caring, but also like deeply controlling and like conflicted uh, partner. Like that the, that the romance there, the relationship there could actually be sort of very scary or toxic, uh, you know, depending on how you render it. And we're just going to sand that down and it makes for a great episode, but it is in keeping with sort of a trajectory that I think becomes really apparent in last of us too, which is we're going to, like it's going to be a sweet and sour emotional experience at this point. Uh, and there won't be as much gradation between them. Mm -hmm. Ren, you had something. Oh, I was going to say like, this is, yeah, this is what I've been feeling about watching the television show has been this, like the rapid swinging between tones has like disc like is something that I has not landed for me. Uh, is is the the jump between like the saccharine moments and like ultra violence because it is just it's the fact that it's so consistent about it it is it is so consistent about like just like snapping you between these two things yeah. um and in a way that like I don't think it's exploitative because no. I, I don't think but like it does occasionally feel like damn congrats you did make me feel bad good good work bro. Yeah, it's well, and that's the I think like I I think the last of us one. I think the reason I tend to like that game more is I do feel. 
the sweetness that emerges from it, I think is better situated within a story that is full of like, it's a hard world. It's a mean world, but like people try to find a little bit of decency and warmth in it. And the story always like in the last of us, the, the tone, I think broadly sort of holds together. And the last of us two is the one where I really started to feel like we are going to swing between just like the most cute manipulative shit. And then, uh, aren't you sad? Look at all this horrible stuff that's happened. And like the show is taking out a bit of that cast, which I love less, but we'll, we'll see how this, uh, season continues to pan out. Uh, we should dip into the question bucket real quick here before we call it a day. Uh, remember, you can send us all your questions at gamingadvice.com with the subject line questions. Uh, Wait, Rob, I have a question. Did Alex say, did he say old man? Was it any good? I, that's been on my list for a little that's while. That's a great question. It's one I was sitting there last night realizing I meant to ask him and I have not. Because, okay. uh, yes, okay. I've like trailer. The trailer's good. great. Trailer I looks love Stephen good. Lang. Stephen <laughs> Lang's real good. All right. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I guess I could just ask Alex. We should ask Alex. <laughs> uh, so. Go ask first Alex. email here is from Ben. On the topic of high school pranks. My personal favorite venue for small fuckery was the school computer lab. This was the mid to late 2000s. So mm-hmm. we're talking shitty gateway education PC towers, mostly running Windows XP. On Windows XP, Control-Alt-Arrow key rotated the orientation of the display, either 90 degrees or fully upside down. (laughs) My friends and I would goof around by rotating the display and seeing how long we could go without rotating it back, or at least until a teacher caught us. Then we realized, if you Control-Alt-Arrow key, then log out to the lock screen, the key binding doesn't work, so you couldn't rotate the screen back without needing (laughs) to log in in the first place. And the shit all the time. Then it became a game of how many monitors can we fuck with and log out before someone notices. I think we flipped an entire room's worth of monitors in a free period once. That might just be wishful thinking. Another time we gaslit a classmate by secretly plugging a wireless USB mouse into his PC and moving his cursor just enough to make him slightly miss the things he was clicking on. Not often enough to arouse suspicion, but definitely enough to make him super mad. In hindsight, I feel very bad about it. FCGH, Ben from DC. So this was, this was I was uh, in an engineering program in, in high school and was like president of a robotics team, which means that I spent a lot of time in the engineering like room and department. I did all this shit so much, so, so frequently. So, so frequently. <laughs> uh, the, the classic was, of course, changing someone's background because like if your background is, uh, if you use a computer there and you have an assigned seat, and you leave your computer unattended, people would change your background to like- You fucked up. As cl- <laughs> you, you fucked up, and they would like change it to- The thing I remember most vividly is the guy who got his background changed to, I believe, an out-of-context screenshot from a latex video. Uh, of just like a dude in a dog suit <laughs> sitting like on a on a chair. Oh my god. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I remember that very vividly. Um Sorry, Aaron. I didn't do it, but <laughs> rip. Uh, next email comes in from Logan. I want to share my story of lying about a video game to my friends, though mine is not as traumatic. I still think it's a good story. When I was a teenager, I went to a friend's 16th birthday party at a game store 
where the back room had a bunch of big couches, a console, a projector, and a binder full of games you could switch out whenever you wanted. Among other games they played that night, they chose to use this opportunity to try out Guitar Hero 3. Most of them had never played before, and so they spent an hour struggling on easy or medium difficulty on the early songs, but everyone was having a good time. I had fun talking with them, but specifically didn't mention to anyone that I loved Guitar Hero and had played hundreds of hours at that point. Eventually, the controller got passed to me, so I put on my warm-up song, Impulse by Endless Sporadic, then turned the difficulty to expert and proceeded to blow everyone's minds with my hard-earned skills. (laughs) One of the party guests, who I barely knew before the party, proclaimed, exact quote, You're Guitar Hero God. I want to have your babies. We've now been married for seven years. As a question... Yes. Have your gaming skills ever helped you out in a social situation? Have you ever impressed a total stranger by gaming? Thanks for the pod, Logan. Uh, Logan, they, them in Philadelphia. I think one of the only times I've felt not terribly anxious performing in front of people was at a Katsukan. I don't remember the year long ago when I was, you know, in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area still, uh, where they had a battle of the bands that was with rock band. And basically everyone went up, picked a song, and you kind of got, like, voted up and or down just by, like, crowd shit. It was like a screamometer situation. It was like, mm-hmm. how well did you perform even while still playing the game and not accidentally fucking it up, right? You still have to hit the notes and all that shit. Uh, one of the fucking... The most badass things I've ever felt like I, I've done in my life is I was on drums, and uh, I played so hard that I broke one of the sticks, kept going, kept a combo going with my hand while someone else ran onto the stage and handed me another stick and just kept fucking going. (laughs) Like, nothing came of that, but it was such a, it's the only, like, moment where, like, the crowd went fucking wild. They're like, holy shit, the stick is broken. (laughs) Like, it was, it was a mo, it was a top, top, top tier moment, I think, for me. That (laughs) rules. I... I have the the opposite thing happened to me. <laughs> oh no! When I first moved to New York, uh, I was invited to a local, a fighting game local, by a friend of mine uh, at this little bar in the neighborhood uh, that also has like a, a game stuff there, right? And then I was I went to this local. Uh, in the front half, the bar was just like normal, like people are like playing Mario Kart or whatever the fuck. And in the back half, folks were playing uh, Strive. And I was in the Strive tournament. Uh, I did not. I was also playing casuals with with folks there and like friendly games. I did not take a single game against the at least ten people I fought against. <laughs> not a single game. Barely took a single round. It was dark for me, right? But at one point, I go to the bar and I, I go get a drink at a bar, and like this really pretty girl walks up to me. She starts talking to me, and she's like, "Hey, we talk, we chat for a little bit." Uh, and she's like, "Hey." I've got to go back to my friends, but I'll catch you before I leave. So I go back to the turn or the friendly stop. And it's like, okay, it's Renata's turn to play in the tournament part, which is like on this like little like esports like stage thingy, right? Um, just like in the back of this place. I am getting my ass absolutely fucking demolished. Just, just, just obliterated. 
as this woman walks up stage next to me, leans over, hands me her number in the middle of an ongoing round that I am losing. And I say, (laughs) thank you. And then she walks out and she's like, call me later. And I was like, I will. And here's the thing. Did I lose every game there? Yes. Did I definitely piss off every single man in that room in that moment? God, yes. God, yes, I did. (laughs) Built different and worse. Get owned. Uh, I feel like I've told the story on the podcast, but I can't remember. Uh, But a couple summers ago, uh, this isn't actually a video game, but we were at a carnival and my daughter really wanted to win. It was one of the ones where you stand up. It's it's got the water gun. You got to try and shoot it in the center and it moves a little figure along the side and everyone's in a race. Sometimes you see one, it's like horses that like kind of move along. I don't remember what actually the actual structure was, but she wanted one of the, the plushies. She went up and, uh, you know, there was, it was her and like some kid that was a year or two younger than her. And, uh, you know, she just didn't really have the eye hand coordination to like steady it in the center. And so she, I gave her, you know, the dollar or whatever she played, she lost. Uh, and, uh, I guess there must've been a couple of kids. Cause I forgot. Anyway, like I, she's like, well, I didn't win anything. I was like, well, do you want to play again? She's like, yeah. And I was like, well, do you want to play again or do you want to win a toy? And she said, well, both. And I was like, kiddo, I asked you, do you want to play again or do you want to win a toy? She's like, well, I want the toy. And I was like, sit down in my lap. And so we went up against like the three and a half year old and I put her hands around mine and I made that water go dead center. And whoop, our horse made it all the way to the end real fast. And we got that plushie. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, that's just me being a, a hero to my child while marginalizing others uh, because their parents weren't allow- around to help them cheat. So, Wow. And they were younger? They were younger? Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> oh. I don't know if my story isn't like these gaming skills helping me in that situation. I don't know. Um, I would say like there was a moment, uh, like group of high school friends. And we slowly realized like one of our friends, we are dialing in on the realization that this person's a really mean prick. Like it, it was easy to, like because we're all nerds you know like honors program type kids like we're all like the same here but like it's slowly dawned on that this guy like really thought he was hot shit like it the the slow realization of like this guy seems to hold this all a little bit in contempt uh you know he's he's totally the sort of dude who would like nurse revenge fantasies about like how people were mean to him he's like well you know one day they'll be serving my kids fries he was literally the dude from like uh goodwill hunting uh but just like carrying this massive chip on his shoulder and he was like very good at school um and but like we slowly we slowly it's like dawns on us that like this guy sucks and we don't really want him around that much but like the arrogance was really getting to us but fortunately god is good and we come to this realization around the time that GoldenEye releases. And so he's like, it's yet another party that he's kind of like souring the vibe on. And I was always just middling at GoldenEye, except on the stacks in the basement. I do not know what it was about that level in particular, but sometimes you have like, I just 
I had the weirdest game sense for that level in particular <laughs> and nowhere else, which is weird because the rooms were so interchangeable in that level that like even like what you could see out of the other person's screen wouldn't really tell you a ton about like where they were because it's all like really vague in general. And so like I just would always be in the right place in the right time in those in those levels. And I proceeded just to wreck this bastard uh, <laughs> like just mercilessly for like hours of just not even like not even a lot of trash talk at first. But it was like as we started to realize like he's getting mad, like not fun, man, not like like frustrated, not like but like actually starting to get pissed off. At that point, it was like, ah, a little, a little fragility in the psychological armor. At that point, it was on. And it was just like humiliation time in gold. Like he would like try to get in a a gunfight with me with the the fucking doish. He'd be popping out and shooting. And I would just wait for him to like run out. I would step out with the pistol, like headshot him. And I just turned and I was like, I grew tired of that game. (laughs) <laughs> and he was broke. He was just like, fuck you, man. Fuck you. And like controller down, didn't throw it, but like down. And he's like, I'm done. And like the party dragged down. But like that was sort of the end of our involvement with him. Right. It was like kind of the we we need to like show this guy the door. And also before we do, Jesus. like we really need to put him through a ringer. And Gold and I like. That one particular, like, as long as I keep him on that level, uh, you know, like it was, it was fine. It wasn't, I, you know, he was still getting beat on other levels, but that one, it was just uncanny, uh, kill to death ratios. Remind me that if Rob ever challenges me to a multiplayer game, that I've done something really wrong in my workplace. (laughs) 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 That'll, that'll, that'll be a dark day. I actually couldn't make out what you said. Oh, sorry. I said uh, if if Rob, I said if you uh, if you ever challenge me to a multiplayer game, I will consider that a dark day after hearing this. <laughs> sorry. No, my skills are all entirely washed at this point. <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't. Oh, my no. my multiplayer experience these days would be much much more like your Strive tournament uh, experience. I think. <laughs> um. All right, well, that will do it for today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook, YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Ricardo, where can people follow you? At A underscore Cotto underscore appears. Patrick. At Patrick Klopik. Ren. At Ren or Raven. And hey, you can also check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, you will be able to uh, check out Ren's review of Phantom Brigade. Uh, very soon on the, I think it should already be up uh, here on the site and hey thanks to Waypoint Plus we've been able to have a bunch of fun streams lately uh, you can catch up on the latest of Patrick and I playing through uh, Dead Space and watching me begin to struggle I would say with some of the escalating difficulty and maybe some of the more <laughs> nuanced weapons uh, that mm-hmm. that were were given well you met you met the uh Oh, what's the what? I forgot the enemy type is like this kind of the the boss that always re- regenerates itself. It was a particularly difficult stretch of of the game for sure. Does change your relationship to a lot of the rooms you're in too, uh, yes. in ways that I'm not sure I love. But anyway, uh, so you will to check that out. I think there's some destinying happening soon. 
Yes, Kato and I are going to check out uh, Lightfall. It'll be Woo! that'll probably be happening, uh, presuming the servers uh, hold up uh, around the time that you're listening to this. Uh, I have not played Destiny since uh, the Taken King, although I did play. What was the Winter expansion that was not long Winter. after that? Wait, it was it was all snow themed? Oh, oh Iron. Um, the yeah, the the yeah, that's Iron, the one Lords where I started to feel like this is not going to be as good moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I, I I did not like any of it, and was like, cool, I guess I'm done with Destiny. It's the one um, after Taken King. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it was not a particularly great campaign, and uh, yeah, so I sort of fell off of it after that. Oh, but then, uh, had a good raid. Uh, it was a fun yeah, ride. Hmm, couldn't be me. Uh, but the, the the new DLC, Lightfall, has a grappling hook, and that is my just, like, absolute weak point when it comes to a video game. So I have not watched any videos. I, I thought we had, for a while we had talked about, like, doing a big swing into Destiny. Mm, swing, grappling uh, hook. But uh, it kind of ran out of, out of runway there. So we were just going to jump in. I, I don't know anything about what the story is happening in the story. Amazing. I have not watched the trailers. Truly uh, I am just going to load... Up Lightfall, <laughs> and I'm gonna see if it can kind of hook me, and then I'll work backwards. Yeah. Which yeah, Kato yeah. has uh, has insinuated to me is not the way to do no, it. But, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, that is the way I'm going to do it, and so we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, so we're gonna play that for a little while on on Tuesday uh, as I try and figure out can I get back into Destiny again. I just hope it's early enough that we get to see in real time Kato going from a beautiful bespoke collection of armors and clothes to wearing just cast off garb as the game showers new light level <laughs> elements on you. Uh, and, and you both look like a couple guardian bums uh, <laughs> drifting, drifting through the game. Uh, and Hey, uh, I think this week, Ren and I will also be playing some Phantom Brigade. Uh, and hey, last week you can check out me playing Company of Heroes uh, on stream very late at night just because of how things have been rolling here lately and uh, just getting rocked by maybe overestimating my ability to handle uh, the the hardest difficulty level of the <laughs> of the game. Uh, and uh, let's see. Waypoint Plus listeners uh, this week will also get to hear me and Alex. We've alluded to here. Uh, me and Alex discussing Michael Mann's Public Enemies, a film that I'm revisiting. I came away really appreciating a lot more and thinking is is an underrated and frequently misunderstood uh, Michael Mann film. And Alex thought was uh, pure ass. <laughs> so get ready for that. If that sounds good or you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. And if you want to show not just support but zeal, go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint merch. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we are calling time on this Tuesday. We'll talk to you again on Friday. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, we got to go to break. That's a knock on the door. Could be an inspector. Be right back. <laughs> I'm out of wet. My wet. My wet. My wet. <laughs> I need to go. I need to go. I need to go get more wet. Inspector, wets. my wet.